Hello, and and I messed up my own intro, even though I wrote it. Hi, this is the Cup Fan, and we're back with a new episode of Como Estas. I am here with Rob. Hey, how's it going? This is what we're calling the first episode of season six of this podcast. We usually oh. we usually reset the numbers every time we go to Mexico when we record a podcast in Mexico. We had no time to actually record a podcast while we were in Tijuana, but we did make it to Tijuana, so I figured that's close enough. Um, yeah, my phone bill is very clear that I went to Tijuana and used data when I should not have used data. So that's that's close enough for, for um, a season restart. Um, we're going to talk about this time the shows we saw a couple weekends ago, the PWG 200 and the Crash show from that weekend, and also the big CML and AAA shows, and then maybe other stuff if we haven't gone two hours by then. Um, Six seasons. Nobody thought we would make it, but we did. No, I thought it would give up as soon as I got back from those first trip. And so I'm mildly surprised that we've kept on going. Does that mean that by the time we get to the next season, we have to have the big storyline conclusion that we definitely planned from the beginning and not, we're not making up the entire way as we were going along, well, like Lucha Underground? We've already gone one more season. Lucha Underground even hopes to do at this point. So That's right. That's That's sad for them and also sad for us to be honest but so i should i should be really worried if you tell me that we're taking a 700 day break between this and the season seven of the podcast you know we also have some serious funding issues where i'm not getting paid as much as i'd like to do these shows but i'm actually still doing the shows instead of just sitting and holding my hands and waiting for people to give me more money that may be a mistake on my part to be honest um Let's start off with the PWG show, the two, PWG 200, which for me was PWG 2, of the shows I've gone to. But <laughs> people have seen, other people say that there's been 198 more of them, and I'm inclined to believe them. Um, I went to this show because I, I didn't want to be home looking at my computer and find out that Bandito won the title. And then I thought, went to the show and Bandito did not win the title. That was kind of sad. But there were other things on that show. What do you think? Tell, telling stories. PWG telling stories. Yeah, PWG, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out, but they they're they have actual they have storylines. There are people going up, people going down, um, people moving towards the title match, even though I have no idea who's going to be who's going to challenge next. But some pretty good matches. I thought it wasn't up there with like night three of the of Bola, but it was there were pretty good matches up and down the card. I thought so too. I thought that uh, I thought the show started started super strong. As when we go through the matches, I'll point out, and it ended really strong. A couple of low dips in the middle, but for a for a PWG show, I would say it was a high end show. Yeah, um, I will trust your opinion since I have not seen enough to have them. It, I, the crowd did seem to be pretty into it. I don't think it was a sellout but it was a lot of people if that makes any sense um and they seem like i said they seem pretty much into the most of the guys on the show so as they as they cycle in new people because the, everyone they used to have is getting signed they, <laughs> they do have still some people that um that the crowd seems to be behind um especially in the opener which was the jungle boy jake atlas trademark miguel three-way that was I guess just a couple of days before Jungle Boy's father passed away, and I was my the, the news about um, his father being ill came out like I think the day before, and I wasn't sure if we were going to even still see him on that show. But I thought he did pretty well. 
and Jake Atlas did great in that match. And Trey Miguel did, did really well too, but I'm just used to Trey Miguel being very good on AEW shows and when I see him on Impact. So that was not that, that was not as much news to me as much as the other two guys doing really good. Yeah, the, Luke Ferry had his stroke on the Wednesday Wednesday night, I believe. The news it happened, and Thursday morning the news came out. So this was like nobody knew if Jungle Boy was going to be there. Then he was there, and obviously it was pretty emotional. And obviously he was going to win the match. I mean, they, I don't think anybody had any doubt about the result once he came out to work that three way. But that wasn't the point. The point was these guys were out there to impress. Trey Miguel in his PWG debut. Jake Atlas has been there a couple times, but I think this was definitely his best performance out of all the times. Definitely better than that debut where they did the SoCal four-way and it kind of shit the bed. The uh, Not him, him himself, although that was the match where he did a moonsault and nobody caught him. And I believe he suffered a hip injury and that kept him off shows for a while after that. So I'm sure this match went much better for him. He He killed it. Trey Miguel looked good, like I said, in his debut, but the story was Jungle Boy. I thought these guys just tore it tore it up. They did nonstop action, crazy dives, everything you could want from an open. Basically, the total opposite of every CML opener you've ever seen this year. Yeah, this is much more of a AAA opener with big moves. Um, yes. Especially Atlas's DDT and his um, kind of angle slam off the top rope. That looked great. That was amazing. That that like pump handle angle slam type thing. That was the move I was marking out the most on over about on Twitter, and then people were like, "Oh, that DDT move." I'm like, "No, the other move that he did." But everybody kept saying, "No, the DDT spot's better." On this night, it seemed like the other move just because the timing was perfect on it. Oh yeah, for sure. I went like legit. I gave this match four stars. Just super opener. Uh, that was followed by Puma King versus Raider Raider Kid. This was. I believe Laredo's second appearance in PWG, because he was there in January, if I'm remembering right. Yes. Um, he did pretty good here too. Crowd really loves Puma, and he's he's it, he, he has proven not to just be a novelty that was open on that was over just one night, but someone who's kind of stuck with this crowd. So I think they had a good action match too with um, Puma. I don't remember the moves as much as well, but I remember the, the press powerbomb beat looking pretty good in this, spot, in this match. Yeah, they did a press powerbomb, and Loretto countered it into a ace crusher in midair as he was holding him up. Right. It was an awesome spot, and it's one of those things. You watch something like that, and that the spot like right there shows me. I know, we, know Puma, we know Puma was good when he was in CMLL and when he left, but it shows you how much he's improving. Like he's... He's putting together spots with cool counters because that's what American fans want to see. He's thinking about a lot of things. I think at one point in this match, I turned to you and I said, like, imagine if Puma was still in CML tonight, we would be at this PWG show and he would be working like a second match doing nothing in Arena Mexico. I can't say enough good things about how well he's done since he left the company. And this match with Loretta was great. Another super match where... Puma ended up getting the win with the Kingdom, his submission hold. And I think going forward, one of the things I'd like to see in PWG is Puma against some Americans. Because we've seen him against Flamita, we've seen him against Ray Horace, now we've seen him against Loretto Kid. He always seems to draw the Mexican guys. So I would like to see him, for a change, show what he can do against a non-luchador. Because I know for a fact he doesn't want to be classified as a luchador. He wants, because his career is in America now. 
yeah, I, I think I think it was good to have him versus other luchadors starting out, but to take the next step, he needs to show that he can do a similar caliber match against um, American workers or European workers or Australian workers or whatever. So that'd be something interesting to do. I think Laredo Kid, as always, is really good, but Laredo Kid to an unfamiliar audience just is missing that hook to get people to care about him. Um, especially on a show where everyone is pretty good, he stands out a little bit less. I think he's obviously, because he's put in so many great performances in AAA, he's, he's gotten over there, but that's a tougher route to have in PWG when there's not as many shows and there's the level of competitors so much higher. But I think he did a good job here. Yeah, but he'll still have heat with me because I told him I wanted to see him get body slammed off the apron, like on Lucha Capital. And, and he, didn't, he didn't follow through. Yes, because he's not an idiot. I mean, if you ask that to Guevara, then Guevara might have done that. But say, yeah, Sammy would do it. Yeah. Um, following that was the best friends versus Aussie Open. Um, we had a disagreement as, over if you had seen Aussie Open before or not, and I was right because he was on the Red Fro show that you were at at WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> but um, I thought it was, the match was okay. The match was very long. It was. We, so called uncensored, the results I'm using here has this 20 minutes and then about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, they they would have been better just cutting a few minutes out and speeding things up. There was a big double body slam spot that the larger of the two Aussie Open people, whose names I probably should know before I started talking, um, had a problem with. And I think that took the crowd a little bit out for a while. Um, I think the best friends were following up on Chuck Taylor being a crazy person in New Japan by having. Trent accept him for being a crazy person. It was very, it was weird. They might be heels now. I don't really know. But the match was all right. I, it was not my favorite match on the show. Here's how you can tell that this is a Lucha podcast. Neither of us can name both members of Aussie Open. But I bet if we pull up the IWRG rookie lineup for Wednesday, we can talk about all 16 guys in the I, main event. I, I have... I can name both names because I put them, their names both on these notes, but that's the only way I, I would have remembered which ones, which people were in there. I know that the one had been in PWG before and nobody remembered because it was like 10 years ago. He did a random one shot, but this was the first time they were there together. I can't say I was blown away. I, it was it was a fine match. I mean, you're never going to see a bad match on PWG. Well, I say this after bearing the SoCal four-way earlier, but... Uh, you're not going to see a bad match in PWG. This was just a fine match. Like you said, it, it went way long. Definitely felt all of the 20 minutes that SoCal Uncensored has it listed as. And it it felt like there were a couple of different points in the match where they they did the the hot tag. But I thought that like normally the hot tag is supposed to be just once per match. And then you go to whatever you're doing. So... It just felt like it kept getting extended and extended for the sake of it being extended. None of the offense was really dynamic except for one spot where one of the Aussie guys basically like picked Trent off the mat and in one motion turned it into a pile driver, which was cool. But otherwise, the finish kind of came where right in front of us, I think that's where Chuck was thrown into the crowd onto a bunch of fans. And in the ring, Trent rolled up whoever was left over from Aussie Open to get the win for best friends. It was Mark Davis who was the bigger one who was rolled up, and I'm only saying that so no one adds us later. But someone's going to add us later, so it's nothing you can do about it. Um, well, you can't say nobody listens to the podcast if you know that somebody's definitely going to ask you. Yeah, but there's like 14 people listening to the podcast, and they will all add me. So, um, 
that was followed by the Brody King versus Darby Allen match. I have no great memories of it, except I really liked it at the time. This is why we were going to do the podcast the week after, but then I got sick, so I couldn't. Now it's it's two weeks in the past, so I can't remember any spots. But I thought Darby did pretty good here, as he usually did. He did do the cop and drop off the balcony, which was kind of crazy. But I guess they didn't gain too much trouble for Sammy doing the moonsault off the balcony if they let if 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 Darby got away with it too. No, see, this is why we compliment each other. I only remember the moves and not the results or the names. So we we work well as a team. The uh, yeah, the match was the just like you said that he did the coffin drop off the thing. He took a he took a beating, like a massive beating. There were some wa- there were some wild chops that he took, and these guys compliment each other well because Brody likes to kill people and Darby likes to get killed. And then Darby ended up introducing his skateboard, which he's been incorporating more into his matches lately. And I think the idea was Brody was going to break the skateboard over his back, but the skateboard didn't actually break, which I think that would hurt more, right? It's kind of like when a chop doesn't make a noise, then it hurts 10 times more. So Darby took a beating and this was everything the crowd wanted. Perfect match right before intermission because you got to feel bad for people who follow a Derby match because you know that the Derby match is always going to end with some big holy shit spot. So that gave the crowd a chance to calm themselves down before the second half of the show. And that's actually, that was pretty good considering that the Jonathan Gresham, David Starr match was always going to be a slow starting match. So it needed a little, it needed a little break of, it couldn't really follow a big action match. It would have had a little bit of trouble doing that. I think this one was the one where we were most split about, um, our opinion on the match. I liked it. I thought it got pretty good at the end. I thought they built the intensity well, but this was not your kind of bag of the match. No, but I mean, I saw, I missed like parts of this. I saw maybe like 50% of it. And it was fine for what it was. I mean, I have nothing against the guys. I have nothing against the style. I just prefer a more high impact style. Especially when I go live at PWG, you know, I'm there for the big spots, the big dives, the big moves. But this was a fine match, and I, I actually want more matches like this on a PWG show just because it varies things up. So if they could keep doing this, I mean, I'd love to see like Gresham versus Hechicero or something like that on a future show. Yeah, I think Gresham seems like a guy who's going to be in the, the man in 2019 because he's a skilled guy who does something different, who is not overexposed or committed to any place right now. So I could see him being a, a big part of PWG and other indies this year. Yeah. And as long as you're, it seems like PWG is heavily invested and the guys who aren't signed anywhere, which are dwindling by the day. And also they have a good relationship with ROH so they can keep using ROH guys. I presume until somebody ends up getting injured on a PWG show, which affects an ROH show. And then we'll have the situation from like, 2012, where Adam Cole got hurt on a PWG show, and ROH said, "Okay, enough of this." I'm distracted now. We're we hit. I have Raw, and I don't know if you saw Raw on. Um, they're doing a Ricochet versus Jinder Mahal match, which I cannot believe is the real thing that's happening. Um, I am watching, and that dropkick missed by ten thousand feet. Yeah, it's just like not. Oh, I'm behind you, I guess. Um, yeah, that drop. This is just a bad idea on so many levels, but whatever. Uh, a better idea was the three-way tag match with the Rascals, the Lucha Brothers, and, the L- and LAX. I think we've seen LAX and Lucha Brothers have faced each other about 
200 times over the last six months in all different promotions. Not even six months. It's got to be like three months. I am shocked that LAX has not ended up in AAA to also do that match there, except that the Lucha Brothers haven't been, been there long enough to do that match. But the Rascals also have based there are two teams. There's a market for some more tag teams in the Indies, I think. Um, they did a quick sprint, which is probably the best way to use the Lucha Brothers right now, because I think they're too beaten up to do long matches or to, to keep going over a long period of time. Um, this had a lot of good action going to the finish, but I, I still don't know what to make of the finish. It seemed like a, it came off as a, it definitely came off as if it was not supposed to be, it was that the count was supposed to be broken up by one of the members of LAX, but it, it was unclear if it was the storyline that LAX got there laid, or if the storyline was that the referee was bad, or if they legitimately broke up, they, they, they didn't break up the pin, but that was a correct finish anyways. It was a, it was a good match for the time, a great match for a time that was kind of, left confusing at the end well i was told that was the planned finish so it's not like the referees screwed up but watching it live what i felt they were going for was just like the women's match on the all-in show in september where the plan is somebody's going for a pin the ref counts two and then you can see somebody's about to make the save but they're split second too late but to do something like that the timing has to be absolutely perfect with the ref hitting three and then the save being made. And the women couldn't pull it off at all in. And these guys didn't seem to pull it off here either because it definitely appeared like the save was made and the referee still hit the three. And I think that combined with the fact that the match only went 10 minutes, I think people were just convinced that this was a, this was a fucked up finish by the ref because they couldn't imagine the semi-main with these three teams only going 10 minutes but what they're not taking into account is like they did 20 minutes worth of spots in those 10 minutes. I'd, like The match never slowed down. It was just constant dives, big moves, near falls. And I think I would have honestly preferred a couple more minutes, but I can't fault them for what they did for the time that, for the time that they had in the ring. It was just oh, nonstop craziness. And because of the finish now, they have something set up for the future going forward because LAX have a gripe about how the way ended. And they even, I don't know if it was improvised or not, but they did the post-match attack. So I'm curious to see what PWG follows up on. I could, I mean, I wouldn't mind at all if they just went to a, a rematch with these teams. Yeah, I think, I, I think I wouldn't see them doing the throwaway because it seemed like Pentagon and Phoenix were beside the point, no matter what was going to happen next. But I could see them doing the tag match again. But again, I think they also, I don't know where you get more teams from, because obviously the idea of Aussie Open here was to try to make them a player in that so they could be a team in the, in the future. And I, I think they did fine, but they would not be worse, or not be high on my list to fly in. So I think there's, there's a long-term problem to be solved. That's the same situation as the, as everyone getting signed, but just on the smart level that all the tag teams get signed too, and you don't have as many to go with at the moment. I think we can both agree that the world is waiting for uh, Jungle Boy and Cavernario tag team. I think so. I think it's time. I think I, there's so many good combinations with Cavernario that that need to be explored. So that left the main event, which was Bandido versus Cobb, which kind of felt like they just sort of picked up where they left off with the the Bola final, or at least those two guys and. 
those two guys portions of the bullet final. Um, it wasn't as much building to those big moves like they did in that in that match as this. They just they went to the big moves all early on and often. And I think Bandito impressed with both the speed and the strength again, but it was only maybe a couple moments where I thought he was actually going to win the title. I was kept on waiting for that big um the big one two blocks moment and I don't think it really came in the match. I think Cobb at the end felt like it wasn't like Cobb eked out of the win that Cobb was definitely the better guy. Yeah, I think uh, I I largely agree with you. I think I'm on the I'm on the higher end of this match. Like I have it rated rated higher than other people. I thought it was fantastic. It wasn't at the bolo level, but I mean the bolo level is basically one of my favorite matches of all time seeing it live. So not much could compare to that. But this was I went four and a half on this if star ratings matter to anybody anymore. That uh on a five star scale, not on a seven star scale. They uh they did a lot of cool shit. I thought that Benito was really intent on showing off his strength in this one because he had he did lots of power moves to Cobb and then Cobb countered by doing a lot of athletic things. For example, he landed on his feet after Bandito tried the 21 suplex off the ropes, which was incredible considering Cobb's size. And they did a, they did a spot where Bandito caught him in midair, just like at Bola and gave him his own tour of the islands finish. That was one of the good near falls. Mm -hmm. There was another good near fall in there. I think it was the spot where Cobb goes for Cobb's basically has Bandito in tombstone position and Bandito turns it into a pile driver using his feet to drive Cobb's head into the mat. But aside from those two spots, I think you're dead on that they didn't do enough to get the crowd on their feet like the bowl of final where the crowd was convinced that Benito had a shot because they kept doing near fall after near fall after near fall. And this one was just a couple near falls. Then Cobb would get his near falls, and then Cobb just went over in the end. Yeah, I think he went over so dominantly that I think Bandito still is a guy who's going to be in the in the bigger matches on PWG, but obviously that's not, it's not even that he just didn't win. It's that he's probably not going to get a title shot anytime soon, at least against Cobb. Yeah, it definitely seemed like, you know, this was Bandito's shot. He didn't make it. And now he's going to have to go his own direction, probably build himself back up for a title shot. And I don't know who's going to face Cobb. I mean, when you look up and down the show, I don't know. I, I can't think of anybody. Maybe they bring in some foreigner. I think of the people on the show, I would guess that Brody King is the most likely one because he got the big win earlier and he kind of matched up with Cobb. But even then, it was not a definite situation. But then also, PWG did not announce when they were next going to do a show, so it may be a while and we may be something completely different. I think at the beginning of the show, Excalibur talked about going to 200 shows and said that maybe in... Eight to twelve more years, they'll be at PWG. Was it three hundred? Three hundred. <laughs> at the rate they're going, it may be a lot more in twelve years because they they are adjusting to the landscape. But it seems like they're running fewer shows a year. And um, if that's what you have to do to get by, then that's what you have to do because it, it, it's tough to find enough people to have a a full card. If the Mexican guys did not get over. Um, I'm not sure what PWG, PWG would have a big hole that they couldn't easily fill at this point. So it, it, it's good for them that Bandito and Puma King and Phoenix and Pentagon have come along because it wouldn't be the same without them. 
some people joke around on Twitter. I see they they say that PWG is basically the crash of Los Angeles now, which is a good transition for the next topic we're going to cover, actually. Yeah. We drove down from Los Angeles, or I say we, since I was driving and you were falling asleep in the back. Yes. Um, to to San Diego, and then got to ride from San Diego to Tijuana to go to the grass show. We also went to the Literary Library Museum, which if you're going to Tijuana for the crash show and you have not been there yet, it's definitely worth an hour of your time. Just get there, go there in the afternoon, walk around. There's so much stuff to see. We took a lot of photos. I know I took photos. You took photos, but on Instagram, I think. I don't mm-hmm. my Instagram. Um, but there were so much... There were so many little souvenirs and historical items that it was just, it was much better than I thought it was going to be. Was, there was so much stuff to look at. I would, honestly, we spent like an hour in there and I would go back. I, I didn't think it was enough time. If there wasn't a show, I probably would have hung around there longer just to look through every single photo they had, every single lineup that they had. It was good. I mean, it's not like we were rushing or anything. We had all the time, but it's just, there's so much in there that you feel like you're overlooking something when you walk by one exhibit to get to the other. I was fascinated by it. I, when I heard that there was a Lucha Museum and I had seen some pictures online, I thought it was, you know, some masks some figures. I knew about the hair exhibit that they have. But when you get there and then there's all these posters, all the lineups, and then all the cool little uh, tidbits that they have that are written underneath the exhibits. Like I, I could spend all day just studying everything there and, nitpicking everything like oh that's not right <laughs> stuff like that yeah it, it's it, the, the amount of stuff they got donated to them or or just like full outfits that they were given to them by the different wrestlers was kind of amazing i kind yeah. of wonder with so much stuff they have i bet they have even more that they don't have room for but they had because every space was full of something yeah and it's like it's i mean even the the museum itself is like there's three floors, I think it was. And the first floor is like, they had some hogs. They had these other knickknacks and records and books. And then the second floor was the Lucha Libre stuff. And I forget it was on the third floor because I never made it up there. Did you go up there? Yeah, I went up there. But what was it? It wasn't Lucha. No, it was like historical Mexican history kind of thing. Okay, so, I mean, like they probably have room for three floors full of things. That's why... They, they cram everything onto the second floor. And like you said, they probably have a lot of stuff that they just don't have out there. And I just kept thinking, like, this is just for Tijuana. There, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's very Tijuana-centric when you go in there. Yeah. They have the exhibit to the Familia de Tijuana, Rey Mysterio Sr., Rey Mysterio Jr., the Familia de Tijuana, all that stuff. I can't even imagine. I would have to visit every city in Mexico if every city dedicated a museum to, like, their Lucha Libre history because – I mean, how does something like this not exist in Mexico City? It's mind-boggling. It, it is. It, it, it should just be a permanent place like this near Arena, Mexico, um, and they would do so much business. Imagine if, like, the Turi bus, part of the deal was we'll take you to the museum for an hour before the show. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. That, imagine if CML had a, had a space like that in Arena, Mexico, where they could have tourists walk through on the days they're not running shows. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting ahead of yourself. Let's work on having a merchandise stand that has stuff with current guys on the roster. We need, we need the guy, we need the photos of the guys who haven't been around for eight, for three or four years. <laughs> important thing. 
Got to get that Viano shirt back when they were still a trio in the year 2001. They're still in there. They're, they're just going to keep them in forever until someone sells them. They may be there in 20 years. At some point, they'll have the, the both Viano three kids will be there. There'll be a new, they'll have like a Rocambole, Rocambole Jr. working as Viano five Jr. And they'll just turn that t-shirt into their shirt. But yeah, we had a great time at the museum and then we headed to the meet and greet for the crash. Did you have a good time there? Because you kind of disappeared on me. I, I stood and wa- watched around. I don't know how I disappeared because I was just like standing like tw- 10 feet away from you, but I wasn't going to buy anything. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to try off my limited Spanish skills on wrestlers. So I just kind of stood out of the way and observed a lot. But you, you talked to pretty much everyone there. So you had a slightly different experience than I did. Well, obviously, I was setting you up to say that, wow, you were, I, Rob, you were so focused on Micro Man, you didn't even realize anything else going on around you. No, you went right to Micro Man, but then you went to right to everybody else too. Well, I think that I went to Micro Man first because they were like dead center when you walk right in, all the micros. Yeah. And also, I think we both noted how surprised we were that like they had no line. Nobody seemed to be interested in them at all. No. I, I think that's a statement about how many people have actually seen them on the streams at this point because it, you could tell even during the show where – they were not over that much coming out, but the Microman was a huge star when that match ended. So there's there's still a lot of unfamiliarity with those guys, which is part of the situation with the TV. Yeah, and I would also combine it with the fact that the Crash audience is very into seeing the foreigners. Like, I mean, Cobb had a line, Austin Theory had a line, Elgin had a bit of a line, yeah. Willie Mack definitely had people there to see him. So and then the Crash, the biggest star of all, right. Right, the Sabu wasn't even there at the beginning, and then when he did show up, apparently I didn't see it, but you told me it was like a mad dash for everybody to get over there and uh, get his autograph in the few minutes that he spared himself to meet with the common folk. Yeah, they all rushed over. There's like it went from no line to about twenty five percent line in no time at all. But yeah, I had a good time. I talked to everybody, like you said. I got pictures with the guys. The I mean. I was just talking with them, right? So, I mean, there's nothing on this podcast that I can share that would be of interest to anybody because it was more of a personal thing. I guess the only thing I can share is like uh, they wouldn't let me take a picture with all four of the micros because apparently there's a CML rule that technicals and rudos can't take pictures with each other, which if you're listening to this, you might pause and be like, but I swear I've seen other people take pictures with each other and they are rudos and technicals. And you're right. CML rules are very strange. But for whatever reason, I could take a picture with all four of them. Life goes on. I got a picture at least with each of them, so that made me happy. They were all super nice. They all had their merch with them, except for who didn't have merch. Uh, I think Zacharias was the only one without merch. Because Gaito had a couple stickers. No, Zacharias had merch. I think it was Gaito who only had the stickers. Other guys had dolls and T-shirts. Everybody basically had their stuff. The, the Rebellion were very popular. They were selling a lot of stuff. Hachisaro was there at the beginning, but then he disappeared because I didn't see him at the end. Uh, Sanson was there. Cavernario was there. They were about the last people who were there. Yeah, I don't think... There was nobody who didn't show up. I mean, aside from Sabu just popping in and out, everybody basically was there. Damian even shared his table with the guys from the opener, the younger TJ guys. Yes, which helped because they were not getting much attention, but Damian over there got them a little bit more people paying attention to them. Yep, and it was fun. I mean, the the meet and greet, I think, was supposed to last an hour and a half, but it kind of cleared out after, I would say, 45 minutes or so. And we took off and went back to relax for a bit because we had a long day, so 
we just decided to sit around with our friend Alan and talk instead of just hanging out at the show. And then the, we headed back over to our hotel where we were staying was basically across the street, maybe like a block or two to the east or west, whichever direction it was from the arena. It was a perfect location, I think. Yeah, it, it, it was nice to be able to not have to go driving around Tijuana that late night. So especially after the show, because we, we were late out getting out of that show. Yep. And then we headed back to the show. We had a uh, front row tickets. Super thanks. We should be, uh, what do you call it? We got to be, uh, put it all out in the open. So nobody thinks that we're giving a biased recap that, uh, the crash did help us out with the tickets. I mean, not for free, but they helped us make sure we got front row tickets, but we are going to give our honest review of the show. We're not holding back or anything like that. Full disclosure. That's the word. They helped us there, but we still paid for them. So they just it made it easier to deal with since we we're coming from far out of town. Yes, and apparently, as somebody was telling me afterwards, that like now the crash doesn't even like uh, the way it is. Is like they don't even accept printed out tickets. You have to like do it a special way. So just getting the crash to help us out just took care of all the hassle. Yeah. The crash show was six matches. They did not appear to that they were taping them at all. Um, but plenty of our people were taping them. Uh, <laughs> I thought the matches were generally as good. I don't know if there was anything at a super high level, but I thought it was an enjoyable show. Yeah, they started on time. Yeah. Which like right know. on time. It's, except for the one intermission that went very long, it was a show that moved along pretty well. It blew me away because how many different shows have we been to together in Mexico live where – you hear Primera Yamada, which means like first call. Yeah. And they do that 20 minutes after. It's supposed to be, the show's technically supposed to be beginning. And then you get like another 15 minutes before they do the Segunda Yamada. And then finally the Tercera Yamada, which is minimum 30 minutes after the show's supposed to start. So I was very happy that the show started on time because Crash is usually a late start as it is at 8.30. Yeah, especially on, on your and my clock where we're already a couple hours behind. Um. The opener was Dinamico and Tiago was beating Maverick and Terrorist Azteca and Mesker Oriental and Unicorno. Mesker Oriental is the former Capricornio, I believe, who was a Phoenix trainee of the crash. So, yes. So he got Phoenix's old name. Yep. He was, I thought this was going to be like some sort of see because Phoenix actually told me about this at the PWG show the night before when I asked him. But he said, don't tell anybody. And then, like, later that, either that night or in the morning, I went online, and there was already an interview with him on YouTube that I think Ardo Rudo did, where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be wrestling as Mascori until now. So, so much for the secret. Yeah. I, I remember this match being good, but I do not remember even my own notes from this match. Well, this was the match where... I, I got so many Instagram followers out of nowhere and I could not figure out why. And eventually I traced it back to apparently the, I don't know if a clip can go viral on Instagram, but the, this was a spot where Unicornio got power bombed right in front of us onto oh, the right. fans and the chairs. And I took video of that spot and my video, I guess that's the reason I have all these weird followers. I don't know about cause somebody spread it, but this was the match where that happened. They had multiple spots in this match where guys got thrown into the crowd they had crazy dive spots, including that spot that seems to be popular now where one guy's standing on the apron, another guy runs to do a somersault dive, and then the guy who's on the apron does a backflip. 
So it's like a midair Spanish fly onto everybody on the floor. Yeah. They, there was This was one with so much crazy stuff. I think you could say that about the first and the second match. Um, I think I liked the first match a little bit better because it was more all three teams doing it than the second match was more one-sided, I thought. See, I would actually disagree with you, but I'll, I'll get to that when we get to the second match. I also want to say that in the first match here, the uh, the finish was the Doomsday Canadian Destroyer spot, which shockingly was the only Destroyer on the whole show, which blew my mind. But I do like the Destroyer spot. The Destroyer one looks really cool. The Destroyer, I mean, the Doomsday Destroyer spot looks really cool when it's done. And I actually asked Tiago after the show where he got the idea from, because I totally expected him to say he got it from watching... Uh, MLW TV when the hearts busted it out. I think that was the first spot, first time it happened. But he was actually unaware that they had done that spot. He just said he came up with it himself, and I believe him because then I showed him the clip, and he had no idea. He'd never seen it before, so you know it happens. Sometimes people come up with the same idea, and that's how it goes. I, I don't believe Tiago's watching MLW TV. <laughs> I don't either. No, and he wouldn't. I mean. I mean, he just spent two months in China, so I assume he had better things to do than be watching MLW TV on the internet. Yeah. But I uh, know this was a great opener. Everybody looked good. I can't say that anybody there. The crash themselves are really high on Jonathan. Not Jonathan. Was it Jonathan? No. No, it wasn't Jonathan. On the show, so they could be high on him, but we didn't see him. You'll have to forgive me. This was the my uh, second time at the in that building, but it was uh, – oh, his name is slipping my mind right now. Now I have to go check your list. Who's, do you remember who he was teaming with? Yeah, the unmasked guy who was teaming with Tiago. Dinamico. Dinamico, yeah. Yeah, they're really high on Dinamico yeah, going forward. He and Tiago are doing his, doing this team all over the place, so they may mm-hmm. have some plans for it. Yep, and uh, then uh, the second match, Astro Aereo was another new name that showed up. And again, Phoenix told me who it was yesterday and said, don't tell anybody. And then here we are sitting here and... What did they announce Astro as? Astrolux. Yeah, so apparently it's one of those situations where I guess he must have been in that crew that signed with AAA back when they, they did the, uh, uh, what do they call their thing? Well, Yave de la Gloria. Right, so he was involved. He was even in the Triple Mania pre-show match, right? Yeah. Right, so I guess he signed with them and it hasn't worked out. I mean, he hasn't got in. I don't even think he's appeared since then. So he probably decided, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm going back to the Indies. And I guess he didn't realize he signed over the name that they own it now. But maybe they only own it for advertising purposes. I don't know how the law works. I'm just saying how it was explained to me that they can't use that name in advertising, but they can announce him as it. And he can wrestle under it. But on the poster and stuff, it has to be Astro Aereo. And he's wearing the same mask with the same ponytail coming out of it. So it's, it's not hard to figure out who he is. It's not like they're disguising it or he's had to change his identity. But he's just, for whatever reason, just not called the same name. So it's, it's a strange situation. Yeah, we don't we don't get Mexican law breaking news. Yeah. Copyright or- situation is weird in the Lucha Libre situation. That's, that's <laughs> not unusual. Um, Starboy, Viento, and Zarco are triple Menza, if I'm remembering right. And they are a heel group who were tossing around the much smaller technicals all match. Um, this was another match where people got thrown in the crowd a lot, it seemed like. Oh, yeah. This is also the match where Xperia did the moonsault off the entrance 
area of the not, not a moonstone, just a plancha. Just a plancha. But it was from very high up. I yes. Everybody, but it was very it was like an aerostar level fall. Yes, and it was kind of in darkness. I kept saying somebody should turn on the lights. Because if this guy dies, I mean, it's for nothing because it's in total darkness. It reminded me of that time. Uh, remember at Triple Mania where Vampiro went to the top of the cage with Chessman? Yes. And they never turned on the lights. So Chessman took a two, three table bump off the top of the cage and nobody could see it, even on the replay. But uh, yeah, I, I guess the story is that Extreme Tiger used to always do that spot. And I believe it because Extreme Tiger was crazy. And that the building disapproved of it, so he had to cut it out. They didn't want too much of a risk factor for a guy to be doing stuff like that. I guess especially after everything that happened in that building with Perro Jr. for such a what we what we consider a safe spot, they definitely don't want something bad happening on a spot that's definitely inherently dangerous. But Xperia defied the orders and did the plancha, and it was really cool. It got the biggest pop of the match, obviously. So he's definitely the new Extreme Tiger. If you haven't seen him do his stuff like if you look up clips of him you can see extreme tiger was definitely his influence and the other guys i mean out of the three technicals between astro astro lux xperia and torito negro i would say torito negro is the most advanced which i mean he did he's another guy who just spent two months in china so clearly he's going to be more advanced having worked with guys and been, who are working a different style and been training under sky the, the entire time He's definitely a guy to keep your eye on. He's still super young and super small, but he's uh, Flamita's cousin. I think we've mentioned that before on this podcast. The Rudos, see, that's why I like this match more than you. You like the opener better, which, I mean, both matches were great. No harm picking one over the other. I just like this match more because it was more, the Rudos, the Rudos are exactly what I love about Lucha. Like, they beat the shit out of these guys. They get themselves over doing their bullying spots. But then, when it's time to make the technical shine, they're there. They were there for all the big spots. They were there to catch all the dives. They were there to make themselves look like fools at the end when they were playing around with the referee and just uh, taking absurd bumps for the technicals finishers in the ring. And that's a spot, that's something, that's a role, I should say, that is really missing from Lucha. And you point this out basically every time you post a new CML lineup and you mention, hey, there's uh, no Rudos under 40 here, and the ones that are are not exactly good enough to make the technicals look good. So these are the type of guys that CMLL could actually really use. Not that I'm saying they're ever going to end up in CMLL, but that's why it was good. That's why I prefer this match over the opener because this is something that you don't get to see much more of in Mexico these days. Yeah, I see it. To me, it seemed like they weren't as much helping the technicals get over as they were just kind of destroying them at times, especially even after the match, when they did the angle where the Mexicali guys came in to set up the Rudo Rudo field, it was just, instead of the two Rudo teams fighting, it was just the two Rudo teams taking turns destroying the Technicos. So, those poor guys did not get as much out of this match. Yeah, I was a little confused by that, because I think at first they just attacked the Technicos. And then the Rudos, the the ones from the actual match, didn't know what to do. The Triple Amenaza guys. And then... They went and attacked the Mexicali guys, but then they also beat up the Technicos. So I wasn't sure if like what the deal was. Are they building up to a three-way match here, or did something get lost in translation and it's still supposed to be Mexicali versus Tijuana? I'm not really sure. Yeah. Uh, following that was the Micros match. This was 
like the match we're going to talk about later from the CML Big Show, but it was only a tag match with um, Gaito and Microman defeating Chamal and Zacharias Alperico. I thought this came off pretty well. They got Microman's spots got over. He and Chamal worked a lot together, and the I think it was the diving head scissors off the apron really was the felt like the turning point to the match. But I think they did a lot of other good spots that I think. The crowd was seemed a little bit skeptical about everyone except Zacharias because he's the guy people have seen for years. But by the end, Microman they were cheering wildly for Microman. It was fun to watch people across the ring from me and see them slowly react and get on by what Microman was doing. Yeah, the uh, it was very fascinating because when they came out, they like you said they didn't get much of a reaction, but as the match progressed. Listen, you'd have to be an idiot not to think that this match wasn't going to get over. It gets over everywhere it goes. Tijuana should be absolutely no exception. They did great. They did all the stuff. They even uh, You could see they were working out some spots that we hadn't seen before that we would eventually see on Friday when we watched uh, Homenaje Dos Leyendas show. So clearly, these guys aren't getting by just doing their same match over and over again. They're trying to get better. Well, the guys who are good, the micro men, Chamuel types, are trying to get better. And I think that this worked much better as a tag as a tag match, I'm sure we'll get into this more when we talk about the CMLL big show, but I think this being a tag match, you didn't have the extra guys in there dragging it down. And it left more time for Microman to do his thing, which is the key to these matches. I mean, if you take Microman out and you put, just for example, Shocker Cito in here, I think this match kind of falls flat. Microman is the glue to this division. Yeah, this does not work without him involved. If he ever got injured for any specific sort of time, then they would just kind of have to shut the whole thing down. Yeah, he's he's the glue. He keeps it together. He obviously he got the win at the end here, doing his falling splash off the top rope, which the crowd loved. They got a shit ton of money thrown in the ring at them. They got bills too. I saw. I donated some bills too. It was uh, it was exactly what we wanted. This was what I wanted to see, and I am bemused because it was like a year ago where I went to the Homenaje Dos Leyendas show in Mexico, the one with Angel Doro versus Cuatrero, and I said, the only thing I want from this undercard, you could put all the shit matches. I just want to see Microman. They didn't give it to me there. I've been to Arena Mexico since then about four or five times. They never gave it to me then. So lo and behold, the first time I get to see Microman live is on a crash show. And I will note that I had it in my mind to attend this show before they even announced the card. So Microman was just like an added bonus. I think you got to see the best out of him by getting to see it with a tag match too, instead of having the third technical ad who's usually not any good. Yep, definitely. And they, they had their, the local referee They for people who don't know, like they don't fly in Atomo or Angel to referee these matches. And they even had a CML referee there who didn't referee this match, which I found surprising because usually the whole point of having a CML referee there, in this case, Edgar, is A, to referee mystical matches, and B, to referee anything else with CML guys so that the result goes according to plan. Yeah. In this case, the CML referee was there because he wanted to do a Sabu match. So he did a Sabu match. <laughs> what a weird thing. <laughs> He's just like the fans who really wanted the autograph. Everyone saw. Everyone who's been a wrestling fan for long enough probably had a moment where they were very, very into Sabu. So he got to live out his fantasy of being a referee at the Sabu match. It was what an experience. that didn't really need a referee that much. Because 
Sabu, Garza, and Bestia versus Damien666, Trauma, and the Traumas. And they just brawled around all of ringside and brought tables in and occasionally occasionally got in the ring, but we're not in the ring a lot until the ending portion where they built up to a hot tag. Um, the spot that went viral was the Sabu trying to do the Arabian press, I guess, and slipping and falling and just doing the worst plantra ever. But I think and that took the, the crowd down, but they were way into Sabu to that point. Yeah, it was one of those moments where the crowd was living in there. It's 1997, or I guess they would remember Sabu from like the early 2000s bubble. And they were so happy to see him throwing chairs. He even did his jump off the chair leg spot in the corner. He He did everything you would want Sabu to do, the pointing and everything, until that chair spot where... He hit the chair, he hit the rope, he dangled in midair before falling, and you can see the air come completely out of the crowd when he fell. Then he went to the apron, and for a split second, I know I'm an idiot, in my head I was like, oh my god, he's going to do an assigned moonsault, just like the old days. And then he did like a lame, super porky-style planche off the apron, and I think that made it worse, actually, because then the crowd was like, Oh man, not only did he fall off the ropes, but he's doing a plunge as if he's like an old man. So they kind of, they really laughed at him doing it. And I thought that was kind of a bummer. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a sad moment of a guy showing how old he is, but Sabu is really old right now. Uh, The idea obviously coming out of it was to build to a Bicia Sabu cage match. Damien Sabu. uh, Damien, I'm sorry. That's right. Damien Sabu cage match. I'm not sure if people were as excited after the match. And it wasn't very clear if it was actually going to happen or not. But I think given the options the crash has for people, it might be something that they actually come back to do later on. Why not? I mean, I think that would actually be a better match for Sabu because he's definitely not going to slip on a dive spot with the cage set up in there. Maybe he'll even have the nerve to try try to some, jump off the cage, which is more stable. But uh, yeah, I mean, good brawl. I would have liked to see something different for Bestia and Mecca cause, or Bestia and Garza because I know that they can work. But they did what they could, and the traumas were definitely more cooperative than usual. They they did their fun stuff right near the finish. The finish was the most confusing part for us because uh, everybody was on a different page. Because right in front of us, we were like trying to avoid the fact that one of the traumas was getting backdropped into the crowd right in front of us. And literally at the exact time that was happening, they were doing the tables. All we heard was like a table break inside the ring. So we missed the whole finish. Yeah. We had to watch someone else's video to find out what happened with the finish. (laughs) Which is very odd, but uh, it was just, I think Sabu does things at his own pace. So that happened to be going, that something else happened to be going on was no big concern for him. Yeah, Sabu's not being paid by the minute here, so he's just going to do whatever he wants to do and get out of there. And, and he did he did have his woman there at the beginning. She left, but I think she was back by the end of the match. Yeah, I saw her in the video of the finish. So she left while the brawl was coming on. She came for the finish. I'm sure she was very worth the money, but I'm sure, much like other people, she was there because the only way to get Sabu there was to get her there, too. So. Yep. Um the main event. Hold on. Are you purposely skipping a match? Oh, I, I'm not purposely. I guess I did what I've been thinking about. The, the match before the Sabu match was the Diamante Hazel, Jeff Cobb uh, team beating Hetrosero and Mike Elgin. The match was terrible. It was- <laughs> and it was originally announced the other way around, we should note. Yeah, it was, it was CMLL versus Foreigners. Yes, which was not going to work for, for reasons. Um, Cobb and Elgin are still not friends. 
That's that's all you need to know about that. And <laughs> Azul was in no condition to wrestle. And if this had happened in Arena Mexico on a streaming show, he would have gone viral and we would have not had to see him for eight months like Niebla. But because it happened in the crash, no one except the crash saw it. And he was it was but we had to see it and it was really awful to have to see. So um, the, the match had no hope from the beginning, and you could tell the people on there, people involved were very frustrated early. I don't understand why people be, book Diamante as well for these shows unless they just have to to get the same all people, but he's just... I don't think he was at the... Now that I think about it, he was not at the autograph signing either. Oh yeah, he's the one that was missing. Yeah, he was. So, I, I have a guess. I have, I have some guesses what he was doing instead of being at that show. But, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> but yeah, that was just that was just terrible. Yeah, he uh yeah, what can you say? I mean, it is what it is. I think that he actually got lucky in the sense that me and you were there, and if he would have had one of those insane Mr. Diablo type moments where he like fell asleep on the apron or did a spot so badly that we could just take a video and have it go viral, maybe something would have come out of it, but Considering the condition he was in, he, I mean, he still did a plancha. He did a somersault off the stage. The only time he came close to doing something that would have been like, ha, 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 botchamania worthy would have been, at one point he tried to slide out of the ring and he necked himself on the ropes. But, I mean, it's not, it's not a, something that the average person would watch and be like, oh, my God, this guy's wasted. But we know what the deal was with him and... Everybody else in the match knows what the deal was with him. For the fin- the finish was the amusing part because the finish was supposed to be him press slamming Hechicero off the top rope. And he was on the top rope. He was on the ro- top rope sitting. Hechicero was standing up there. But Diamante Azul was just so out of it that Hechicero just was like waiting for him to do anything and he didn't do something. So Hechicero just took his own flip bump off the top rope and Cobb added a standing moonsault and they got the one, two, three get the hell out of there. I mean, when I say get the hell out of there, I mean, Elgin was already halfway to the back when the three count was happening. Cobb followed him immediately. And Hechicero was a professional. What can I say? Yeah, it was funny because Diamante Azul in his head was clearly going to do a standoff with either Elgin or Cobb to, set up a, to tease a match that uh, that wasn't going to happen, but he wanted to tease it happening. Except they had both stormed off so far that he, he when he looked around for them, they were no longer there. So that was good fun. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is how CML guys act. I mean, CML has this is not an isolated incident. There are a lot of CML guys who act this way on shows, and it just doesn't get reported enough. But they can get away with it, even if even if there's an official from CMLL who was sent there, yeah. basically to babysit everybody, they can still get away with it. So that shows you the type of situation that exists right now in CMLL and how much pride these people are putting into their work. Not Hechicero. I'm leaving him out of this. Hechicero was a total consummate professional. Yeah, and Kevin and Townsend were fine in the, in the matchup out too. But the, yep. there's, it, it's also very clear to everyone that the the people who misbehave have have nothing to worry about unless it gets unless it gets picked up by people outside of CML and get blown up through a bigger thing. I think the one thing that that may come out of us talking about this though is it's inevitable that at some point, some U.S. company is going to get talked into booking Diamante Azul. Whether it's a favor to one of his buddies like Rush, whether it's 
an ROH-CML talent agreement where ROH knows nothing about CMLL and just takes whoever they get sent. Diamante Azul is going to end up working a U.S. indie show. And at some point, anybody listening to this podcast or reading your website that knows what happened or watched a video has full right to call out the company who ends up booking him. Like, this is the guy you're booking. And I think another fallout of this is that uh, a guy like Jeff Cobb, you know, is clearly if he's working for the company that's going to end up employing Diamante Azul, he might have something to say to that company. Like, listen, I worked with this guy and I'm not going to work with him again if you bring him in. So that may be an issue going forward if CML tries to send him to some place like ROH. Right. I, I think the word out from the people who have worked with him probably is not good between this and the situations with New Japan, both in New Japan and when New Japan wrestlers have come to there. So it's going to be tough for CML to send him out, but he has... Obviously, the right front so to get him chances he does not get otherwise. So, and he's a heavyweight in a country that does not have that many good heavyweights. So he gets more opportunities than a small guy at his size doing the same kind of stuff. I will say that he is definitely, if you poll the CML wrestlers themselves, he is definitely way at the bottom in the least popular category. People do not like working with him. People do not like being around him on a personal level. He is definitely a guy where if CML didn't exist, I'm not sure he would exist in the world of professional wrestling. Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, you can tell that he, he's never gone to AAA, and I don't think AAA would be, have that much interest in him because he would be the same kind of washout guy that they would want to get rid of quickly. So um, I think he's in the, in the protective cocoon. And it shows how much how ill prepared he is for the outside world when he shows up in the crash and does stuff like this. Instead of trying to do this, would have been the place to have a really good match because working with Cobb and working with Elgin could get you booked in the US. And he that was not a priority for him on this match. Yep. And then the main event was uh, Cavernario, Sanson, and Austin Theory challenging Willie Mack in a four way for. The Crash title, which has pictures of Rey Mysterio on it and plaques for, I think, Eddie and Perro Jr. Did they, I think they changed the belt. So I think it's a different belt and Rey just kept that belt. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I, I believe the the photos that Austin Theory had afterwards when he was posing with the belt was of a different belt. I thought the match was good. The crowd really loves Willie Mack. I think crowd, Austin Theory has been here enough times that I think people are trying to are trying to get hold Getting a feel for him, I think they know Kevin Nerd gets over easily as well. And Sanson has been here a few times. Uh, I think because they were kind of thrown off the end because Kevin Nerd had a shoulder injury that seems like it's a temporary shoulder injury, but doesn't come back again. Um, that drew off whatever they were doing with the finish, but it seemed like it was still a pretty good match. It wasn't a, a great match, but it was you know what you would expect from a four way with those guys. Yeah, I was really surprised at how over Austin Theory was. There were there were Austin chants. Willie Mack, of course, is super over. I mean, the crowd loves him, and how can he? You know, he's super charismatic. It's hard not to get into him. The CML guys more than held up their share. They they worked really hard. This is like the type of match that I want to see when I watch crash shows because the, these CML guys aren't getting to work foreigners when they come to CML. Like those guys are working the. Diamante Azul and the Rush types, the Volador Juniors, they're not working, the Cavernario and Sanson types. So this is the only chance we get to see it. I think that the Crash takes advantage of it by booking stuff like this. So it was good to see them all working together. 
And it was cool. I, I predicted Austin would get the belt before the match started, and he did get the belt. They, uh, I, I only thought that because I assumed that the Crash would want their belt on a guy who's, I mean, he's pretty high up on Evolve, and he's he's like he's double champion now, right? Right. I do not follow Evolve enough to tell you, but that sounds right. I think so because they announced some cards today, and I think he's defending a title. I know they have multiple titles, so maybe he's not their main champion, but he's definitely one of their champions. And they get their belt on WrestleMania weekend shows. He's going to be all over with it. I think that's really good for them. And he's good. I like Austin Theory a lot. I mean, I'm hesitant to get too into him because I think everybody basically realizes where he's ending up, whether in a matter whether it be months or by the end of the year. He's going to WWE. He's exactly the type of guy they love. So I assume that the crash doesn't have much longer with him on the title. I think the only thing we need to bet on now is whether he ends up dropping it in the ring or not. Yeah, because this is the, I believe, the first heavyweight title change that has actually happened in the crash in the ring. And maybe the first, besides the the junior title that's actually happened in crash in quite a while. Oh, the women's title changed stands on the last show, didn't it? Or that no, was vacated. Yeah, Tessa vacated it. So right. Okay. Let's count. Um, it, they do not have a great history. I think part of the reason for doing this title change was trying to make the titles that more important by having one actually change in the ring. But I think it's going to be tough for them to get Austin Theory back to have him defend the title too many times before they have to eventually take it off him because WWE comes is comes calling. So they obviously will call him. It's just a matter of when they want him, but he's obviously going to go there at some point. And that's like the bigger problem with the crash is that they are so reliant on bringing indie guys. And as the indie pool continues to get drained by people being signed with mostly WWE, but also AEW and maybe other people, it's it's become hard for them to find foreigners to bring in. I think one of the issues here is that Willie Mack, even the last few years, is a guy that's been always available to them because because he has not been the top tier indie guy, even though he's a well liked guy who's based in that area. But like even going back to New Orleans last year, he was he worked the Lucha Underground show, and I think he worked it was was the House of Glory show I saw him at, but he was not one of the most House of Hardcore. House of Hardcore. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the houses of Hardcore. House <laughs> of Hardcore show. He worked that show, but he was not like one of the more sort off guys. He wasn't working every time slot they had, that was open. And now this year, he's a guy who is a touring NWA champion who's also working Ring of Honor. Because even as much as he's gotten better, the amount of available people has also gone down. And so even the, the guy on the Willie Mac tiers, it's not someone that the crash can assume that they're going to be able to get when they want him. He had to be pulled off the previous show because he was working for Ring of Honor. So, um, I think that that problem seems like it's just going to continue that way. I mean, we're recording this today where the news came out that DJZ is is signed with WWE, although no one seems to know exactly when he's going. Uh, you can just see that more and more people are going to disappear. And when you've had trouble building up people on your own, it's going to be tough for a promotion like The Crash to continue going with their current model. And they're also in the situation where even if they want to swing around to focus more on local guys, when they did focus on local guys, all those local guys ended up with AAA to sit around and not wrestle much, but they all got signed up, and that's why we're not seeing, you know, Black Destiny and Ultimo Maldito on these shows anymore either. And, of course, 
Garza Jr. just announced next yeah. Crash Show is his last one. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to own a subscription site to know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to phrase it, but yes, you. Uh, I mean, it's obvious. Regards is winding up, and obviously, pretty soon, if he already knows that the next crash show is his last, because yeah. they've announced all their dates. So that means they've got another one coming up in April, and he's not even going to be there for that one. Yeah, I think he told people that his he's worst his last show in Mexico City too. So you can tell that he must be pretty close if he's ruling out locations. Yep, and uh, when we were there live at this show. They announced Caristico versus Ray Horace as the main event for their March 23rd show, which is actually this Friday, now that I think, Saturday, now that I think about it. Right. But uh, since then, it has been changed to Dragon Lee versus Ray Horace on the Negro Casas anniversary show, where I guess Garza Jr.'s farewell match is going to be the Rebellion against the Pesta Negra. Right. That's a, it's an odd way to go out, but I don't think they, it doesn't seem like they knew they were going out th- that long ago. Um, but they've also been in a holding baron with Garger Jr. since he lost the hair match, so they've been ready for him to go for a while. Um, the Dragon Lee thing is interesting because I think everyone had him as going to Ring of Honor a few months ago, but but we're now in April, and it's clear that he has not actually signed anything because nothing's been announced. So he might be end up a guy who's has a pretty busy 2019 because if he's just going to... If he's not signed with anyone, then he's one of those guy, rare guys where he has a name and he's available. So if he wants to work a lot of places, there will be a lot of places that are going to want to use him. You can see the crash taking a chance t- using him here in the big way, and I think other places might want to try to see if they can do it. Although it hasn't really worked out for everyone, as AEW can say. Yeah, I mean, my speculation only, of course, is that the reason that Dragon League chose not to sign with anybody is because he's expecting to get a lot of work with new Japan this year. And he's got to keep himself free for whenever they come calling for him to do dates. Yeah. And so I guess that would take him off the indie working indie shows too. So. Yeah. And then, uh, he's winning titles now on the U S indie scene. I think he won, he won a, he won a, did he win the Martinez title or something? I know he won the Mucho Lucha title. And so clearly he's going to be a touring guy. who's just going to be all over the place. And, Highly sought of in demand. Of course, I mean, self-plug here, but he got announced for WrestleCon in the meantime, too. So he's going to be working all over the place. Yeah, I think that's going, it's going to be interesting. Because I would assume that he would have signed a deal by now. In fact, I think I wrote about, about that. Like maybe last year, I would thought he was going to sign a deal. So mm-hmm. I think he's a guy who's talented enough that if he wanted to sign a deal, he probably could have already done that. So if he's keep if he's keeping himself free for New Japan, that would explain why he's not done the deal, but it's obvious that he's trying to go a different path than what his brother has done at this point. Yeah, he may be another fallout, just like Bandito, of the whole how WWE's been treating Sombra, because Sombra's tight with that family, so and we know WWE has has had interest in Dragon Lee, so if he wanted to be there, he would be there. Clearly something is keeping him away, just like something kept Bandito away. And all signs point to the way they're treating Sombra. And just to put a uh, a bow on the whole crash thing, I thought the show was really good, aside from the Diamantes Azul tag debacle. I think I had just as much fun at the crash show as I did the night before at PWG. It was I'm very happy that we decided to go out and see that show. No complaints. The crash was really nice. The hotel location was very nice. Uh, I 
I think that the the travel was far more easier than I thought, like uh, on our own, getting back across the border afterwards. Yeah, so concerned going crossing the border was going to be some sort of obstacle either way, but it was really mm-hmm. the only reason it took so long was that you were having a detailed explanation of the differences between U.S. and Mexican wrestling. Otherwise, it was quick. <laughs> yeah, I I mean now when you look at it, I mean if we were in a car, I could see it being a hassle because that the lineup for the cars looked insane, and we were just walking through the tunnel, so we made it in no time at all. So I would definitely advise people who are listening to this and looking for advice that. Don't drive, obviously. I mean, at one point, we were thinking about taking your car, too, right? Until you informed me that we cannot take a rented car into Tijuana. Yeah, so we were thinking about driving down there, but we got a ride down there, and then we got a Uber to... We got a taxi to the border, and then we walked across, and we got an Uber to the airport. That was no big deal. Yep. So a very enjoyable experience. I would, I would definitely do it again if there were weekends where the shows line up, but... I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. So we will see. Yeah. And I say that because PWG has announced no dates, obviously. Yeah, we know the crash dates. We 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 don't know when PWG is going to run. They are going to run, but it seems like there's two competing things here going on where the crash is running more often, even though they're having less access to talent. And PWG seems like they're running less often for the same reason. And we never even noted, but the crash did look like 90 to 95% full. Not a complete jam-packed sellout, but super healthy crowd for their standards. Yeah, they, they're still doing pretty good, which is probably the reason why they're running so much. They're, I don't think they're losing. They're still making money in what they're doing. It was just You can see that there's problems on, in the future that they that are out of their control. Yep. Speaking of problems... But problems are definitely in the control. There was a CML Omen A Dos Leandes show this past Friday, which was a, which CML caused so many problems from themselves, from the I, the the streaming situation where they knew what was going on, but either were unable or refused to explain what was going on, to having a match that was going to be bad and having it turn out worse than they were expecting. So, I mean, it was. It's CML is still going to chalk this up as a win because they drew a whole bunch of people. But mm-hmm. it was a, if you were a fan of CML, it felt like a big loss overall. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we keep we keep hoping that uh, CML won't draw for one of these shows, so maybe they'll learn a lesson. But I think we're at the point now where CML is a lot like WWE. You could argue both positives and negatives about this, but basically they've turned their major shows into events not wrestling events just plain events where the common person's like oh there's a big show going on tonight oh it's wrestling whatever let's go out for the night and that's like they're pre-partying because they're still going out after the show because the cml show ends at like 11 between 11 and 11 30 local for the major shows and that's when you go out and you party so this is like you know where you would take a date before you go out to the club afterwards and they packed the they didn't pack the place. It wasn't sold out, but I heard it was a healthy crowd, probably around like fourteen, fourteen and a half thousand, something like that. Uh, and I think that this like, we're going to get into the Triple A show after this, but this shows the difference. Where like, aside from Triple Mania, the Triple A major shows don't come off as major shows. They come off as well, it's another TV taping. Because what exactly happened at the Ray De Reyes show that wouldn't have happened at any other taping? I mean, it's the same setup, and nothing looks different. But when you look at the CMLL show, I mean, it is like another, it's not like another Friday is what I'm saying, because 
The opener has guys who are usually in the third or fourth match. They have the dance numbers. They have a ceremony. They have a major stipulation match on top. The AAA show had none of that. No. The, the presentation was all the same. There was It wasn't like they were doing a video, bigger video screen. They were doing all the same sponsorship breaks that they normally do, except there seemed like there were like three or four more of them. It was... It, it did not stand out as much as the CML show. So I, that, that's definitely one thing you could say for CML is that they know how to upgrade the arena and upgrade the presentation so it feels like a bigger show, even when all the matches are not that much of a bigger deal. Yeah, you just wish that CMLL could like somehow chow, chow, uh, channel the effort that they put into presenting a major show with the booking of a major show. And actually adding some more things of consequence. But, I mean, I guess for them, this is consequence to them. A trio's titles match in the semi-main event because it's a title company. They think title matches are big things. So that's how it goes. Uh, but, uh, I mean, overall, the show, I I guess we'll go match by match. But I didn't think it was a great show or anything. I think I gave it like a four and a half out of ten on my overall ranking. I thought if you watched the weekly Friday shows, this felt like a weekly Friday show that just happened to have a hair match on top. I think the title match helped stand out a little bit, and we did not have to deal with the um, apocalypse apocalypse tier opener level guys. But otherwise, it was it was a a show. It was just not a, it was not a special show. Yep. Do you want to go match by match or no? Uh, yeah, we'll probably go quick through some of these because I don't really care much about them. The opener was Heel of Blonde Three, Pabor, Vangelis beating Audaz, Sphinx, and Triton. A Sphinx and Triton had matching outfits that confused me because I thought there was two Sphinx in the match for a little bit. <laughs> um, oh, God, fucking no. Um, Vangelis looked better than he has recently, although his Northern Lights suplex is like he just slowly bends backwards while holding someone. There's not much impact on it lately. Um, Volanothori did not look as bad as he has in the recent matches, and I think it was you know, a fine match for what it was. Yeah, it seemed like Piano 3 was Jr. was getting the most out of this. He got to do a dive. He got to do his big splash. He got to do a couple moves that I haven't seen him do before. And he got to celebrate the win before the match was actually won. So congratulations to him. Yeah. I thought uh, there could have been more with, done with Audaz. I think I was mostly frustrated watching this match on the stream because it felt like 60% of it was being shot for the overhead, from the overhead camera. And I can't see shit when they go to the overhead camera, so that was really annoying. This was, but, a, this was a good show if you like to get the shot of from behind someone's head while you're standing in the crowd of the act. <laughs> they went to that a lot, too. Yes. CML is great at shooting shows from angles nobody wants to see. Yeah. But the opener, I mean, listen, I'll take this opener any day over the usual openers that they give us. And I'm in an especially pissy mood about openers these days because yesterday on the Sunday Arena Mexico show, if you look at photos... They were doing multiple dives in the openers and in the minis match afterwards. So for fuck's sakes, if I tune into Tuesday show tomorrow and the opener is them doing nothing, and then again on Friday, I'm going to scream my head off. I think that's exactly what you expect to happen. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to move on to the next match. Go for it. The micros match. Atamo, Gaeta, and Microman beat Jamil, Mihei, and Zacharis of Rico. This one, usually it seems like the matches are re- very well rehearsed for the micros. You kind of know what everyone's going to do. Sometimes they do too much, but everyone's generally in the right position for it. This one, it seemed like people 
either could not remember the plan or they were having trouble sticking to it. There were people standing around waiting for other people to do stuff more often than usual. Um, Atama slipped twice on the first fall finish, just trying to get into position for it. So there were some off moments. I think Microman was still pretty good, but he was he and Jamal were much better than everyone else in this match. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying earlier that Microman and Chamuel are the glue to this, especially Microman. And listen, don't be too hard on Tombo. He's got the bonies going, so it's it's hard for him to even walk, let alone do a match on those, which is why I don't understand why they don't just run tag matches with these guys. Even a guy like Micha, he's not as terrible as the Angel and Otomo guys, but he's clearly not exactly a guy who should be doing wrestling matches. And people don't know this, but he's an old man. And he's involved in matches like this, so there's only so much he can do. I feel bad for Gaito, because I feel like Gaito can do more, but Chamuel is there to base for Microman, and Zacharias isn't exactly a super base himself, so it kind of leaves Gaito with not many people to work with. Uh, but yeah, they did some stuff. They We didn't see the usual Microman head scissors type stuff. It felt like they were trying newer things. Like At one point, I think they were trying the triple suplex spot, but it got all screwed up, so... They just ended up suplexing one by one. It was really strange. And then, like you said, the spot where Otomo fell over himself. And it was really sloppy the way they set up the spot where Otomo ended up splashing all the Rudos. But the crowd liked it. The crowd threw money. I mean, perfectly fine match. It wasn't bad. And when it comes to CML show standards, if it's not bad, I'll give it a passing grade. Yeah, I think it was definitely not bad. I think the situation is that we get... Micro trios because we get with the trios as a normal version, so they don't want to. Tri- I think if they think there's some stigma if they're doing only two people, they're doing only two versus two instead of doing four match. Like there's some stigma of only doing one fall instead of doing three falls. When really, if we were designing these from the beginning, not everyone, not every match needs to be three falls, but there's kind of a weird expectation of trying to keep up with what other people are doing, even. Even if it doesn't really make sense for what you're doing, but oh yeah, I mean, hundred percent. The micros match needs to be need to be one. They don't have enough for three falls. No, no matter they, what, they no matter were, who's involved. They were doing one falls at the start, and it was really good. So mm-hmm. they didn't really need to advance to a third fall. Isn't that kind of CML's thing? They finally figure out something that works, like micros being one fall, and then they change it, or they send out Titan and Cavernario instead of a lightning match to do a three fall match, and it steals the show. And next week they just say, no, we're going to go back to a lightning match. Yeah, it's more that they have to force everything into these the square holes they know, even if it works, even if it makes sense for it to be a round hole instead. It's, everything has to be similar to each other, even when, when they're at the bots being different from each other. Exactly. This was followed by Diamante Azul, Sobrano, and Titan versus Fisto, Mephisto, and Tapolario. I thought that was pretty good. Azul was in better condition here and always works better in a trios match where he can just do his big spots. Although, like, his running into the ring clothesline spot used to look so great, and it's gotten worse this time he's this time he's in back. It just kind of looks, looks sloppy. And, and you can say that about him in other ways, too. Um, <laughs> I think it was not a standout match for anyone, but a Tipperario did good as he usually did, and Mephisto and Mephisto do work harder on these bigger shows than they do on the you know Monday Night Problem shows. Yeah, I think giving this two falls was a great idea because they could just get in and out, do all their spots really fast. 
Titan Soberano Templario were the stars. And there's not much else to say about it. Uh, Diamante Azul won with the hip toss, which I found really strange. But I'm not going to push it because the last thing I want to see is him German suplexing people. Yeah, it seemed like he did. It seemed like he may have not had trusted that he could do his finisher, which is odd. But whatever, he has like two different finishers too. He could have done the submission too. So I don't really care. See Monte as all as long as yeah, got the match over, then that's fine. This was followed by MGD, which is Barbaro Cabernero, Gilbert Alberica, and the return of Negro Casas. Casas was way over. Um, and he looked like he looked fine for for being his age and for coming back from him in the injury. He was he wasn't asked to do a whole lot in this match, but what he did did pretty well. Um, they did were both teams were the Rudos at different parts of the match, and I think that got over well. Even though I was expecting that the Pesa Negro team would have been cheered anyways, um, and I think it made sense for the Diamantes to get a win, and they did well with that. So this was fine. Yeah, everybody else seems to like this match more than me. I thought it was perfectly standard, not not good, not bad, just just there, kind of like a match you would rate okay. I, yeah. think, I think it was helped because Gilbert, because he was going against NGD, looked so much better than he looked against Diamante Zol that I think that gave a, a good feeling to the match. I guess for me, I mean, the only thing that stuck out to me in the match was Cavernario was wasted. He's much better than this, but I did like seeing him work with the NGD guys. And how happy Negro Casas was to be back. Great to see Negro back in the ring. I hope that his body can hold up because he keeps missing so much time. I keep wondering if he's just, every comeback is just delaying the inevitable of what his body's trying to tell him. But I hope he can stick around and keep back, get back on a regular schedule. I wish CMLL wasn't the way CMLL was, where guys like Negro Casas and Atlantis are being tossed out to work completely insignificant Tuesday night or Puebla matches where they could get hurt and there's no reason for them to even be there. But that's how things work. And whatever, Negro's back. The NGD guys look great. I I am such big fans of those guys because politically, they will always be on top. They will always be pushed. They are, they are the guys the company is building their future around. And they could easily be doing absolutely nothing and be in the exact same spot they are now. But they always seem to be coming up with one or two new things. And even a guy like Forastero, who everybody's much more high on than me, he I'm even starting to come around that he's really improving. Yeah, they they work hard, even though there's a lot of people around them at their spots do not work hard. And they don't they don't seem like they take their position for granted. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Forestero Cavernario on Friday. Yeah, that should be good. And they kind of set it up here with um, Forestero um, being Cavernario with the big drop kick. I don't know if they'll be able to go back to that in the big matches. That's a hard match to set up when you're the wins at one on one. And it's a hard spot for Cavernario to do generally, but um, they should have a good match even without that spot. This was followed by the laser version of. The Guerreros versus a Technico team to be decided. This time it was Crisco, Dragon Lee, and Volador. It not was, the dream team. Not the dream team. It was just, it was the almost dream team. Who are we missing? We're missing Mystica, who was just booked in Wakaka instead of being booked on this show for whatever reason. Um, well, was, they called, when they announced the match originally, when the Lucha Brothers and Volador Jr. were in it, they were the dream team. And then at some point, they created another dream team. And then when it came for the title match, they decided we don't want either of the dream teams in it. I think this is a problem with CML because 
if this was a set team, even if the team had the set team was Crystal Dragon Lee Borlor, maybe there would have been some sort of feeling of them as a, as a unit going against them. Maybe they would have come across some way dif- uniquely, but it just feels like the problem with these Guerrero's matches is just the Guerrero's versus an ever changing group of Technicos, but the matches are pretty much the same, except maybe a couple dives are differently, or maybe the finish is a different move, but it's the same sort of thing where. Ultimo Guerrero versus at the last second to keep the tiles, or that he loses cleanly because the champion because the technicals are already champions. But it had every big spot you expect from these guys, but it was just kind of missing a little bit of feeling because it was such a, a match with no reason to exist. Yeah, and it, like the first two falls were completely standard stuff. I mean, we, we've seen it before. The third fall is the one where we always wait for it because we know that that's where they're going to go wild and they went wild. They did all of the crazy triple dive spots. I thought the finishing sequence was absolutely tremendous. The only nitpick I can do is like when he hit the La Mystica, Guerrero should have just reversed it and rolled him up right away. Because then when he sells La Mystica, and then he kind of no-sells it by just rolling him up. I mean, but then, like I said, it's just a nitpick. I thought that everything was good. I thought Euphoria was a total star in this match with his basing and his power moves. I, I really... I don't want to call him underrated because he's not underrated. He's like a main event guy in CMLL and he's a key part to all the trios matches he's in. But I would like to see him getting a chance to do crazy singles matches instead of tossing out, you know, the same pairings that they have all the time that we've seen, uh, you know, a million times. I like to see it like a euphoria versus uh Volator Jr. Even in a singles match. We've never seen that or see what euphoria could do against a guy like Dragon Lee, you know, something like that. But for some reason, CML is not into that. I uh, I thought Guerrero, Ultimo Guerrero was good in this match. I mean, everybody was good. You can't really single out guys over the other except for Euphoria. But I will say that like people were saying, oh, this was the best version of the trios match. Honestly, I think they had one a couple weeks ago that was better that I have ranked higher than this one. Yeah, I, I think it was it, it went a little bit longer than usual, but I don't think it was as creative or just because they've done so many times that doesn't feel like any of these are that creative uh i would say you know it would be nice if euphoria got some of the bookings that diamante azul got outside cml too i think maybe not in that particular heavyweight match but if you threw him with random flyers if you did a diamante azul ray horse match it'd be a really great ray horse match so but i i just don't think i think people in CML, see Euphor is a top star, but because he's a the third Guerrero and he's not really focused as a singles wrestler at all in that promotion, he doesn't really seem like he gets chances outside of the promotion either. And maybe he's not motivated to take those. It's not like he works a lot of Indies in Mexico City either. Yeah, he's an older guy. We have to remember that. Maybe he kind of yeah. is very happy with the way he is, you know, be with his family, and that's about it. But, I mean... Best match on the show, obviously. That goes without saying. Yeah. Easily best match. The main event was Angel de Oro and Niebla Roja, as expected, defeating La Bicera del Ring and Tori Blade in a double hero match. What do you mean? Shocking upset. This match, everyone knew the outcome as soon as it was what? announced. As soon as they did that press conference, and they did the press conference anyway. So it was, it was a match that was not good for two and a half balls. And I think maybe they thought they were going to save with the Tribber on how they were finished, although I'm not sure if they saved it. But as soon as as soon as he got hurt, as soon as Tribber got hurt catching in all their match, or 
die, then that was completely that was the end of the match right there. So it was it was as bad as it's feared and probably a little bit worse. So um, they got what they were asking for. I don't think they got anything really long term that this match is going to be remembered. But Beast of the Ring got his main event and got another payoff, and I think that's really the only thing they really cared about here. Yeah, I guess we'll find out as we record this podcast. Oh no, because Daylight Savings hasn't started yet, but. We'll find out if Terrible works Puebla, if he's out injured or he's sticking around. But I'm really worried about him because, you know, he had that injury from the match with Macias and the crash where his shoulder got hurt. That's right. And he came back. And now, again, he's had the shoulder injury. And we were talking about Extreme Tiger earlier. And Extreme Tiger is the guy whose shoulder had been fucked up for years. And he kept having to stop doing matches because it kept popping out during the matches. So I could easily see Terrible having these chronic shoulder issues unless he goes to have surgery, which I would suggest because, I mean, Extreme Tiger took three years, but now he finally got the surgery. It's inevitable. So Terrible might as well just go for it and get it done because, I mean, this was just an embarrassment. The way, Not the injury. I mean, injuries happen. I'm not blaming Terrible for it or Angel Doro, obviously. But the reaction to the injury was just so fucking embarrassing by everybody involved from, like, Nobody knew what to do. I mean, Tirantes knew what to do. I don't want to call him out for being an idiot, but the way he was doing it, you need two guys. Like, Tirantes was doing the part to pop the shoulder back in, but if you know how this works, you need another person to be holding Terrible's other hand, so you're pulling from two opposite directions, which would pop the shoulder back into its socket. Tirantes can't do it alone. And you have Bestia standing there. You have Le Comandante standing there. You have a doctor who's taking his sweet-ass time going the long route to get to the ringside area. You have a commissioner. You have Niebla Roja. Like, there are so many people there who could have done Alexis is there. He probably knew what to do. Nobody did anything. They just left, left Terrible there to suffer in pain because everybody was too dumb to figure out what to do. And then then he rolls. He gets back into the ring. And you can see Angel Doro is sticking in his head. There's probably a move I can do to put on this guy where I can hold his one arm and pop it back into place and somehow we can continue this. But then he just froze on the spot and they just went home, which I guess is fine because you don't want anything worse to happen to Terrible. But and the it just, was, it's not like they were one shoulder coming back in from having the match being saved too. It was right. Be. Yeah, I mean, there was no going back. This match was bad as it was for obvious reasons. And so they just took it home and... Whatever, the crowd popped for the result, even for which is weird because they were fucking booing the shit out of the technicals all night long as it was. Even in that match, they were still booing. They were, it was like they were God Bernardo's fans, but they're not like they were cheering. I, I know there are people like Terrible, but it was not like Peace Zero Ring has long been the favorite with this crowd or something. Yeah, it was just a whole weird situation and. Shitty main event, what can you do? But they got their head shaved. Even Terrible came back out to get his head cut before he went backstage, and then they shaved it off there. I saw pictures of him today, actually. He was posting pictures on Instagram from his first barber trip to clean up the mess of the CML barber. And Yep, they're shaved, and uh, we move on. I don't know where we move from this. I mean, if you were looking at this from a logical company point of view, I mean, this would be the end of Bestia. He has no mask. He has no hair. He has no reason to exist. But it's CMLL, so clearly he has reason to exist. So, yeah, he'll get a hero win back in in October to even this out. We'll do Vangelis again. Sure. <laughs> Did you notice that the 
I didn't even get a chance to point this out to you on Twitter today, but the Homenaje Dos Leyendas 2020 build has begun. Did you notice? I did not notice. Well, I'm going to break this to you. So on the Saturday Arena Coliseo show that just oh. occurred, Pequeño Violencia unmasked Acero for a DQ in the opener. I think as far as CML is gone, they're still not going to do him in these match of any note. Hold on. You missed, you clearly, you know, you told me you missed that Sobrano and Euphoria are programmed against each other on Saturday. But you clearly missed something else. The opener is a rematch from last Saturday, and it's listed as a revenge match. Yeah, yeah. They're still not going anywhere with it. You're getting a uh, rematch. You don't want to book flights already to get down there to see Acero versus Pequeno no, not to see no? Pequeno Valencia, who's not been good for like five years, have a match. No. I, I, All right, your loss. It's amazing how much. I mean, it's good that they've given up on the minis, but they have really given up on the minis since, <laughs> since they moved the last couple of people off. They they barely make the shows. They're usually openers. They're they're not doing any even token title defenses with Shakur Sito. They haven't bothered to give the tile the lightweight tile back to one of the other minis. It's just like it's over. They didn't even celebrate their anniversary last year. Usually they do a generic match just for that, but yeah, it's over. I mean, I kind of wish they would move Shakercito down as a Rudo into the into the Micros because he could probably base for Gaito based on their size difference. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a fun thing to use them for, but they're not really interested in fun. Nope. And uh, I'm assuming that we're getting a Micros title this year because Microman was hinting at that on his Instagram the other day. So another title. Where when you count time for count people in the universal tournament, you can ignore. Yeah, as they did already. So I will just follow the lead. So, so what, yeah, that would. What, sorry, go ahead. We didn't make mention from the show was the Blue Demon presentation. Which, Ouch. Which, which was a lot different in person than it was on was on the stream. That showed up the day later. It was just very quiet, except you could hear some whistling on the what went out in line. Which was on its own very strange because those are usually usually get a nice big round of applause and that did not happen. But it sounds like what actually happened was a large amount of booing because fans did not think that they think the right blue demon was being honored or something. Yeah, and it's a shitty situation for Sophia Alonso because they always try to put her in positions that make her look good and you know, she was getting booed out of the building for being next to the blue demon that the crowd didn't like. And it really shows you the change in Arena Mexico fans, how how entitled they are, the ones that are there now. And also the fact that, like, I, I think most of the booing was coming from tourists who were there. And once the hardcore fans started booing, the tourists just assumed that they should play along, and they went along with it, which led to the real loud booing. But uh, just an embarrassing situation, and I wish it wouldn't have happened, but what can you do? That's This comes with the territory of the way the CML audience is these days. I wonder what CML's decision was to actually do the do a Blue Demon this year. If it was something where they wanted to get their own Blue Demon honored before the Triple Mania match, or if they if it was something with Televisa, since Televisa did do the Blue Demon show and had their act there from it, which is very odd. That show's been over for like a year or so, and it's not like they're doing a follow-up. It's just... Oh, it, it was... I think... We haven't had this booing on their things because you usually can have the actual wrestler there and they want to cheer their actual wrestler. They're not as much interested in cheering family members. So 
maybe just they Blue Demon was something that they uh, an obvious name that they want to include on their list, but it just I don't think they found I don't think they found the great way to present it, but I also don't think that the fans were gave it as gave it the respect that they probably should have given. Are you not worried that there's a new Blue Demon Jr. coming? He was very clear that the the son of Blue Demon was very clear that he, he considers his father the only Blue Demon and he has no plans for adding another Blue Demon. And I've read that even as more as a shot at Blue Demon Jr. bringing his son or whoever that was to the AAA, Triple Mania press conference, that that kid was not going to be acknowledged as Nito Dale, Blue Demon, or anything like that. I'll tell you, there's a lot of amazing moves and spots and things that we see in Mexico. But I think the most amazing thing I've seen this year was the fact that a guy with two daughters ended up with a son as his new Blue Demon Jr. Well, didn't that kind of happen with the spot he stole from Octagon, who kind of ended up with a son, despite not having any sons who were in wrestling age? Should I say that again? It's a spot he stole from Octagon, who beat him to having a wrestling son. (laughs) Any wrestling sons that people knew of. That's right. It's all... I I think we might see more games like that as they come to Triple Mania. There's no chance that that Blue Demon is losing his mask to Dr. Wagner, but Mexican wrestling fans... And people in the Mexican wrestling business are weird, and I'm, I can see them being scared that something like that's going to happen and reacting negatively towards it. Yep, definitely. I, the one question I have is we transition to Triple A talk. Okay, so Wagner's obviously is losing the Blue Demon, but Blue Demon and this is a spot where they originally had oh, L.A. Park. Yes. Triple A was convinced that they could get L.A. Park to lose the Psycho Clown, even though L.A. Park was never actually going to do that. Now that Blue Demon is in that spot, do you think AAA is telling themselves that they can do Blue Demon versus Psycho Clown in 2020? Mm, you know what? I'm not. I'm not as sold on, as you are on the fact that Wagner's lo- that Wagner's losing. I could. I'm torn right now. I want to see how it plays out in the next few months. It would be a spectacularly bad move if you could get Blue Demon's mask and you gave it to Doctor Wagner. Yes, but. It's AAA. But yeah, I know. You can't rule it out. I think that's what you can say as we transition to Raider Race is that it could be a spectacularly bad move for the promotion, but that doesn't mean that the promotion will not do it, as we might have seen in the main event here. Hey, man, are you you not taking into account the fact that they could add Cody Rhodes in a three-way and he takes Blue Demon's mask? I I did not count that, but I figured that that obviously Cody Rhodes is facing Taurus on Triple Mania, so that's just not going to happen. You know what? You're absolutely right about that because I think we both know that at the end of the day, Jeff Jarrett's getting Blue Demon's mask. Yes, that's that's the correct vision. Jeff Jarrett will win the mask, and then he will also appear with the mask on Raw the next day. <laughs> the Red Race, I think it was a good show. I think it was a little bit disappointed because it was so long and some of the undercard stuff did not quite deliver. I think especially... I think it was not a bad match, but the OGT versus Drago Pagano Puma King match ended so like near tragically that it kind of ruined any enjoyment people might have had from that match. But I think it was a good show in the tradition of good shows this year for AAA. It was just not the 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 blow away great show you you might have wanted to hope with the extra attention they were getting on this show. 
they were getting why were they getting extra attention? Because uh, there were people involved in the main event that people in the U.S. might have heard of for once. And by that, I mean Phoenix and Pentagon, and also star of Lucha Underground, Tejano Jr. Oh, right. Yes, absolutely. That. The only guy missing was Fantasma, King Cuerno. <laughs> yeah, Fantasma, who was working on their shows that weekend, but is not working this show, is not working the next show, but nothing is wrong there. Definitely, definitely there's no heat for him um, suing the company. Well, well, see, here's my thing. I okay. Here's why I say that they should have pushed it stronger. That the Bucks were going to. You remember when the Bucks showed up at Bar Wrestling with Cody and everybody? Yes. Like they they weren't advertised, but I mean, you knew they were coming. It was pretty obvious all throughout the day. They gave the most obvious hints possible, right? Yes. The first for that show and for the Defy show, they were very obvious the first two times. Okay, and when they've done these YouTube streams of their press conferences. I mean, I'm hoping I'm not tossing out the wrong number, but they've had like sixty to seventy thousand people watching, right? Yes. It's really high. So when I'm sitting here, I was watching the English stream. You watched the Spanish stream, but the English stream usually, I think it's around five hundred people watch it, right? It's the, the English stream for the first few shows have gone like six hundred, seven hundred people. I am getting. I noticed that I'm getting but more people watching my. A legal CML stream than they've been getting for the English stream so far until this show. Right. And on this show, the English stream, as far as I was keeping my eye on it, it peaked at about 2,000. Yeah. That's so that just. That they had too. Right. So that goes to show you that, like, they needed to be more overt that the Bucks were going to be there if the plan was to try to get people who want to see the Bucks to tune in to this show. It, it just flat out didn't work. I know that there's there's also the time problem that the show was taking place. Space the Bucks were basically coming out at one a.m. Eastern or twelve new, twelve Central, wherever you were, and that's pretty late. But I mean, you know, and it's Saturday night. But come on, they're wrestling fans. If if they would have been more overt that the Bucks are going to be here and the Bucks are going to be in a match with the Lucha Brothers, I really think they could have tripled the viewers at least that they had there because there's clearly an audience out there that just wants to see those elite guys. And I think that in in that sense, AAA completely failed from a marketing perspective before we even get into the failure of them on the show. Well, it was obvious. It's obvious coming out of it that the Young Bucks, for the reasons, really did not want that to be out in advance. They wanted to do a secret thing to surprise everyone. And AAA and Conan are very behind doing swerves just for the sake of doing swerves and surprises, just for the sake of surprises. So they were, I'm sure they had no problem with it. But it hurt them. It, if the idea was to get, a extra eyes on AAA by bringing these guys in, then they did not do that because they did not put the word out for the tr- live stream. But they could have also accomplished it by do, putting some video out or making the Twitch stream free or doing like a special YouTube thing of the YouTube highlight thing that they put out the next day to take advantage of the extra interest. Because I'm sure people woke up Sunday just finding out about it. And they if they went to the AAA site, they got some quick clips in Spanish, but they could have done something that was like a bigger presentation for people who might just be interested in them and then direct them to see the full thing on the Twitch site. And they really just kind of did not do anything extra out of this. Well, there was far more talk about it the day after than there was 12 hours before. Yeah. And what happened is that we knew it was like, you went to the, to the YouTube sites who clipped it up themselves and put up their own highlights and that should have been something that AAA could have done to move people towards their own brand. And they kind of missed the boat there. 
And like, just like we saw in the BTE that came out today, I mean, it wasn't a secret. You spoiled it by giving away you, just you, you're the internet. You gave away the fact that the Bucks were going to be there. So it's not like, you know, people should have known about it. That's why, I don't know, this whole thing was confusing to me. But the people who wanted to do it got what they wanted out of it. And I think that's the only thing that matters. I think, yeah, this was something to help the the Young Bucks brand more than it was to help the... And the show. To help them. And I, yeah. I'm not really sure that's a great news for AAA to be doing something to help someone else's show, but I also think that fits what AAA does, where there's you know history of them running angles that don't make sense to their audience that don't really pay off to them, and this is just like no different than that. I was thinking of the it was it Tiger Steel who showed up at Raider Rays one year in the angle yeah. that went nowhere. Back in 2000, you mean? Yes, and that was never explained. That this is not really that much different than that. It's just a monster heel coming in and destroying everyone and well, with, with no real background that well, for AAA fans to understand what's going on. The difference, I would say, is that Tiger Steel got over because he was he established himself as the Rudo throwing tacos at the crowd and being a heel. Like The Bucks didn't really establish anything about themselves. But, I mean, we can get into this later, obviously. Yeah. So, but overall, how would you feel about the show besides that? Overall, I like the. I've really liked AAA this year. I mean, the Observer Awards came out this 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 uh, week or midweek before the Ray Dorea show. And no matter how good these shows are, AAA at the end of this year is going to win worst promotion and worst major show because they have very bad. Uh, they have a bad rep, and that impact is kind of there's no there's no terrible promotion that everyone can hate. So since AAA has a bad rep, it kind of lights. It goes up there. I mean, WWE is going to win the worst promotion just because WWE exists. <laughs> They're the punching bag. But there's no – Impact is fine. There's RH is okay, I guess, but there's no terrible promotion. So the, the promotion that only comes up for bad news is always going to get the bad votes. Right. I mean, so, you know, I've enjoyed AAA this year. I think AAA has been one of my favorites, even going back to late last year. I mean, ever since Kony came back, I think that it's really improved. Yeah. Uh so yeah, this show held up. I, I thought it was much better than the CMLL show. I gave it like an 8 out of 10. I think there were a couple of definite misses on the show, but everything else delivered exactly what I wanted, and in some cases, even better. For example, the women's match. Yeah. Uh, I think there were a couple of matches that kind of gave me a little less than I was expected. I thought the, if we could start with the cards, the opener was the mixed tag match with Mirabella and Volano 3, t- ch- challenging big Big Mommy and Nino Hamburguesa. And I thought that was lesser than the, the trios matches they've had leading up to it. I think it advanced the story well, but the, the action, because they were doing so heavy, where where Hamburguesa was not attacking Lady Marvilla and was not allowing Mommy, it kind of prevented them from actually having much of a match. Um, it, it was really hard to explain how they won that match when they were not getting along and they were not playing one person on the other team. But I guess they kept the tiles anyways. Um, I think it worked as a opener to get the crowd going. It just was not a as good as a match that they think they're capable of having. Yeah, but I mean, as you noted in your recap, the the good thing about that though is like the storyline progressed a bit because that's what we've been waiting for. Yeah. So we actually, yeah, they've been running in place, and now we actually have a little more clarity that like 
it's not that she's just fucking around with the new Hamburg guests. Like he's falling for it. And now he's clearly prioritized her more than he's prioritizing big mommy and the tag team titles. So I'm sure that the next logical step in this would be another match for the titles where she ends up winning the titles by tricking him and making him look like an idiot for believing her. Yeah. There was a skit that they aired on the TV show that went up this weekend that aired probably in space a couple weeks ago. Where I asked you about this. Didn't I ask you about this skin? No, you have. I don't think so. This, the one with the Uber? No, this is a new one. Oh, sorry. Okay. This was one where um, they were in Tepic, probably, um, and and Marvilla was rubbing some lotion on her legs next to Hamburgaster, and then stopped to take a selfie with him, and he was completely flustered about the whole thing. So they're kind of. Of all the angles, it's weird that the opener angle is the one that's most consistently told and progressing normally. But also, it's also the one where they seem like they have the people they want there all the time to shoot all the vignettes they want. So that that probably helps. This is, I mean, I don't want to, you know, be the guy spoiling the magician's tricks or whatever. But this is uh, very much a Conan storyline. He's done this before. Yeah. He's done this with uh, Aerostar and Fabi Apache. He's done this, the, the, the Alpha, Fabi Apache. It's always Fabi Apache. But, I mean, this is not the friend. He, remember, he tried to do this at one point with Nino Hamburguesa and Jennifer Blake, but she ended up leaving. Right. So this is, like a, this is like a trope. He always likes to do stuff like this. So he knows what he's doing when it comes to this. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's just a matter of getting to that payoff. Which is- if we can get to the payoff, yes. That's... The problem usually. The problem with AAA usually is that that it doesn't come across to get those matches. I think it's also a problem with the the next match where it was Leishnai keeping the Reina de Reina's tile over La Hidra, Kira, and Chick Tumretta. They called it a street fight, but they just did. But it was a show where they did weapon spots and table spots in almost every match going from this point on. So it really didn't stick out as that important. Except they just needed an excuse to have a table or a chair table set up on the outside for the smash fly at the end. Um, this is one where they are building so many different matches, be it Schnei versus Tyre or Kira versus Fabi Apache or whatever else, or, or Fabi Apache versus Tijo de Torantes for some reason. But it's AAA, so I don't know if we're getting any of those matches to happen anytime soon or ever before they change their mind again. I mean, yeah, isn't that that's AAA, right? Yeah, I mean, if you want to believe that they have those six main events set for Triple Mania, maybe one of those main events is of those matches I talked about. Probably the Fabio Apache, you know, the Trantes with uh, given AAA's mindset, but you have to believe there's a roadmap going on with AAA to actually care about any of their storylines. And their history is that there is no roadmap. They're just kind of making it up as they go. So um, as for the match itself, though, it was fun. They did a whole bunch of stuff. They about killed each other about five different times. It's been, it's one of the, it's on the upper level of these multi-women matches they've done. Um, I thought Tormenta and Hydra, who have not been focused at all and don't really have any credibility, still came across through the match pretty well. I thought the Smash Fly at the end looked cool, and Chennai got a win that looked pretty impressive. And she kind of, it was a show where she was treated as a more important figure throughout the show. So it was nice that she got a win that was really a win. Yeah, I uh, I liked it too. Just like you said, I thought they were all worked really hard. I was joking before that. We haven't seen Hedra and Chica Tormenta on TV during the entire NHL season, which is about to conclude in a couple weeks. And yet here they are getting a title shot. But uh, 
listen, I can watch Lejera wrestle all day and try to stay in her top. The Chica looked really good. I mean, I know she's good. I saw her on the Riot show the other month when I was down in Monterey. She's uh, she's a good addition. I wonder if she's going to stick around because later on she showed up again outside of this match to, to partake in an angle. So I hope they have plans for her to be a more regular feature because the, the AAA women's division is really strong. And we just got to see, like, you know, you, you before we you talked about the match, you were talking about you don't think they're going to get to the payoff at Triple Mania, which normally I would say that's fine. Don't get to the payoff at Triple Mania because you have other major shows to do stuff. But I think this is the problem with AAA that, you know, we're going to get into later on the show is these are the type of shows where you should be blowing off the Mascara versus Maximo, Aerosar versus Monster Clown, Fabio Apache versus Shiny type things. But they wait for Triple Mania, then they don't do the Triple Mania, and then they just put it off another year. And that's why we never get anywhere. Yeah, that's why it feels like a lot of these matches are running in place. I'm looking at the Tijuana lineup now, just remind myself, because that's the next show. And Chikamrenta is not on there because Maravilla's team back to Team Akira because they're combining those two feuds. So maybe we'll see Tormenta again, or maybe they just need an extra body for all those stuff that they were doing this week. Is Fabi on that show? Fabi is not on that show. Because oh, she's going to be at WrestleCon. Yeah, so that would be a problem. But that's, um, but that's a problem that Drago and Irisar are going to have coming back from, from WrestleCon. From from New York the day before to across the continent to get to the show. I don't know why that. It's really mind boggling, right? That they're running a TV taping with. I mean, Conan's not going to be there. Vampiro. Last I checked, Vampiro's even trying not to be there by looking for bookings in New York that weekend. So it's so strange. I mean, they they must have had a sold show, and that's the only weekend that they could run that building because probably Crash has dates and other companies have dates. I mean, we know the Crash has dates, so. Uh, it's just really, really weird that everything in the wrestling world is going to be happening in New York that weekend. And, and then AAA is going to be running something. And it's the only weekend that they're running in like a month span, more than a month. So it's yeah. like they could have found some different way. I mean, they're coming back to that area to run in Mexicali for the next taping. So I'm not sure why. I'm sure they need TV at some point, so they can't wait that long. But it's just weird that they're the way they're doing it. Um and then after this match was the the deal where Fabi came out and Tirantes, she got into it with Tirantes, who said he had two surprises for her tonight. Yeah. What were the two surprises? Well, one was right here. She got, uh, who attacked her in this match? It was... Kieran uh, Chikamrata. Right. And then the second one was uh, Daga turning on Taya. I think that was the second one. Well, why would that be a surprise for Fabi, though? Because she was involved, right? Her and Taya are like a, a team now. She was not involved until after the turn happened, so she didn't really care until then. You're 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 going way too deep into these simple AAA storylines. Tirantes knows the future. Okay, I I believe you. Um, the following match after that was that Parazel Mall match. They did the video package they did to set up made it a bit, feel like a big deal, if, especially if you are a person who has been watching them since they had this group by showing the three guys, three people in this match and also Pero and Pentagon having big moments in the past. Although it was amusing that they seemed to take like maybe one fifth of the highlights from the Tyre and Daga versus Pentagon match, which is not exactly showing the Pero Zomal working together. <laughs> and, and they also like anything that happened with people who were not in the group was pretty much left to like a clip 
a quick flip someplace. You can see Halloween and Damien if you really look carefully, but otherwise they just did not exist for the purpose of the storyline. Um, but they sold the idea of the group coming back, being something important and coming back together well enough to make it mean something when Daga turned on them at the end. Um, it seems like we're going with Daga as a, a, a selfish, bitter dude based on Tyre's promo on him on Twitter. Um, which kind of fits where he is with his career at this point because <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to bury him, but it's like he's a guy. Please who, go ahead. A, a guy who who come back in this company behind the people he left with and not really getting the support from those guys. So you can play that off into a storyline from there. Um, it does not make sense for him to be a technical, I think, in AAA at this point. And he's been doing mostly Rudo and Dragon Gate, and he kind of feels like he's doing Rudo stuff elsewhere. So. I think that works best with what he's going with right now. And I think he generally works better as a Rudo against the guys that, given the guys that Triple A has around. You know, the funny thing is, like, uh, who could have ever seen Daga turning on somebody? I mean, it's not like he was a technical who turned on his own friends to join the Perils Zamal in the first place, which is actually exactly what happened. <laughs> Here's a good question for you. In that match, which two other perils did he turn on? In the original match? When Back he... in 2012, when he was a technical against the Perils del Mal, and he turned and he turned on the technicals to join the Perils del Mal. Who were the other Perils del Mal in that match that he joined up with? Have... I'm really just looking for I'm really just looking for one name because it was it was Halloween, Taya was at ringside, and it was this other foreigner. It was other four. Was that the Pete Powers match? There you go, legendary. What did he make the video that you described? He did not make that video. Ah, oh, what a disappointment! I'm gonna have to talk to Oscar about that. I only, I only, I only remember him because I remember him having blessing about like two matches and tie with Tyra. And you would think that Tyra would have only lasted two matches too, but she stuck it out and um, did pretty well for herself. Oh yeah, she she got rid of him quickly. <laughs> It was, I think Puerto del Norte did well, even though that they were really not the focus of the match at all. Um, it was nice for them to pick up a win, but it did not seem like they were going in the match to get the win, although they really have no storyline coming out of it. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in saying that like they should have swapped the teams here? Like the Poder would have had a good match with the guys in the next match, and the OGT would have been perfectly fine here getting their win and doing their thing. And shouldn't, like, didn't, if I'm not mistaken, OGT, or OGT lost that feud to the Poder del Norte. So the Poder del Norte should be more pushed at this moment in storyline standpoint. They should be, but that's not the way it works. But um, yeah, I think OGT King would have been more appreciative of getting a cheating win too. But then they would have, I'm not sure if OGT would have done the random angle where they put Joel Leader drew a table on the entrance ramp while everyone was watching Ty and Bobby shake hands. So that's one thing you can say for Porter del Norte. They got to do a completely random attack that meant nothing. And now I wonder where they go, because if you saw, Daga was denying that he's feuding with Joe Leader. Taya's cutting promos on Daga, but I don't see them doing Daga versus Taya for some reason. So I don't know. Is this is that it? Daga just came back to basically kill the Perils Damaloff? I'm. It's weird. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure what direction is. I, I can see him being of use, though, in, in different places on the card. Like, if you put him in... If Australian Suicide, who seems to be injured, um, is not going to be back for a while, if you put him in that mix with the Vikingo, Laredo Kids, Sammy, Jack guys, that would be interesting use for him. Um, it does seem weird to do this big 
angle with him turning on people and not follow up anywhere. But I'm not sure if I'm also dying to see, say, um, Joe Leader versus Taga or even Taga versus Taya. You're the one who kept pointing out that Joe Leader has a lot of hair now. So if they do a multi-man match at Triple Mania, I think he's the number one candidate to lose. I feel I feel like he's more at this point more Arena Alaska losing. It <laughs> you have a point. You have a point. Next up, I think we got some superheroes. Yes, we got inexplicably um, Superfly as Venom as Volador. We had <laughs> Averno as. Batman wearing the, the Batman mask over his head for the entire match until the finish. And we have um, Chessman. Chessman with an outfit no one could ever figure out what he was supposed to be. I think somebody should ask him. Oh, yeah. He's not on social media. We'll never know. It was just, it might have just been like a regular Chessman outfit for all we know. It was just a very, like, I don't know what they were going for here on many levels. It, it did not fit with the match they were having either for them to be all wearing weird outfits. but The uh, one night that his whole team is cosplaying, the one guy who his entire career has cosplayed, Wolfpack Sting, decides not to look like him. Yes. Chessman's just a unique individual. I guess. I don't know. It was, it was, it just, I don't, I think, I don't know why they were doing it at all. I, I'm very curious. I'm sure there's no reason at all they were just doing it to do it, but it was just very, it was very goofy in a match that was, in other ways, very not goofy at all. Which is very deadly for people involved. Well, yeah, I had the worst tweet of the night because before the match started, I, I made the mistake of pointing out that Superfly is the hometown boy, and I hope he doesn't do anything crazy stupid tonight. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was not intending to do be that stupid, although even taking that power bomb as fast as it was was going to be a problem for him. But yeah, but I don't, uh, think, I don't think he, he intended to be as bad as it, it turned out to be. And I mean, he turned out fine, but the match itself, I mean, I thought the match, I thought the match was good. I think other people said it wasn't. And I know a lot of people were taken out after the finish. I don't know if that means that I have no soul or something because I was still into it, but I thought it was perfectly fine. The OGTs did their thing. Uh, Puma got to show off some stuff in the middle of the match. Drago looked actually better than he has in recent times, I thought. He's actually been improving. I guess his shoulder is healing up now. He did a cool assisted dive. Then they had the death spots, the power bomb through the table, or the sunset flip bomb through the table, I should say. Then the, the I don't even know what it was. It was just a plunge. They just, Chessman and Pagano plunged from the top rope, and Chessman's arm went through the table at a weird angle. Yeah. And, that, and then... That seemed 100% intentional how that was supposed to go, as opposed to the Superfly thing. Yeah, but I don't think his arm was supposed to... I thought they were both just supposed to crash through the table. I don't know if his yeah, arm was supposed to... It was supposed through. to break that way, but the idea of doing this back suplex kind of thing... This yeah, is, we should not be doing a back suplex through a table. Was a okay to them for some reason? Yeah, and then uh, Averno pinned Drago with the angel wing or devil wings off the top rope. Good little match. I got no problems with it. Just uh, very confused, very uh, very worried about Superfly and the bump that he took, and then Chessman. And of course, this was the match where if you were watching the English feed, Vampiro started his descent into madness where he was screaming his head off about guys risking their bodies and how he risked their body and how the fans should appreciate him. And it really felt like he was trying to get himself over at the expense of the guys who actually killed themselves. And of course, then this turned into him yelling curse words at the people in the chat room and it all went off the rails. And I felt bad for Adrian because Adrian kept trying and, 
at certain points, he'd be selling Vampiro, not now, but you can't stop Vampiro when he gets on that one-way train. How did you feel Adrian did overall? Because I did not listen to much of the English. I liked Adrian uh, far better as a as an English commentator than uh, Stryker, obviously. Uh, he wasn't as funny as Suicide, but they don't need a funny guy. They have Vampiro there. That's why Suicide and Vampiro never really fit together. But uh, Adrian definitely played the straight guy really good. He was trying his best to keep Vampiro focused on what was going on, so I'll give him points for that. I uh, and Adrian definitely knew what was going on. That was a good thing. Like he he's educated on the product, so I think they definitely have something there. If he only he could have a good guy to work with would be the issue. But you know that's how it goes. Yeah, I think I think they're lucky that they they had someone that they knew who always spoke English. Obviously, they're not putting a lot of effort in bringing the people who people who know the product so it's lucky that they could find someone who they're they're not bringing a lot of people who are going to cost them a lot of money to do this i don't know what adrian's making so i don't want to make it maybe i'm making a bad assumption there but they they're doing this as easily as they can do it just to say they can do it so that they found someone competent without trying too hard is good because they weren't going to try too hard i think well, for those who don't know, because there might be people who don't know, Adrian is part of the Maslucha crew. Yeah. So he's just tagging he's along, some, basically. He's done some Spanish stuff for them for some of the shows, especially when the when Bernardo and Jose Manuel are not are doing other shows. They've they've started to cycle in some more of their crew to do the announcing on those shows. So he has some experience, but it's mm-hmm. also he's a guy who spoke English who was available at the right moment, I think, too. Yep. Next up was, what was next? The next the cage, match, the cage match, which was the main event that seemed like to most of the fans. It was <laughs> Psycho Clown, La Mascara, Mamba versus Jeff Jarrett, Killer Cross, and La Mascara. It was Maximo. Usually, you had La Mascara twice. Okay, we yeah, had Maximo, Mamba, and Psycho Clown on one side, and Killer Cross, uh, Jarrett, and La Mascara on the other side. I think I got that right now. Yes. Uh, it was, you could pretty much, you know, even ignore it. I mean, Jeff Jarrett took a chop from Browser the Plata. And Killer <laughs> Cross was in there for no reason at all, except they were, had him booked and they wanted to keep him around even in case someday they finally come up with an idea of how to use him. And Mamba he was, was there, there just to bleed a little bit, I think. Cross was in and out. He actually left the cage match at one point, not over the top, through the door, yes. and then came back in the cage. So, he had the I mean, did, did somebody. Had, did somebody forget to leave it in there? Did Jared forget to bring it in the cage with him? Maybe, maybe they just want to make sure that they left it out so that no one actually accidentally used it beforehand. Because given that crew, I can see someone just break Psycho Clown just getting really hyped up and just grabbing the guitar when he wasn't supposed to. So yeah, I guess because they had other weapons in there. Yeah, they had plenty of other weapons, but they had to do the guitar spot because you bring Jeff Jarrett all this way so you can break a guitar because you couldn't do that with someone else. You can give the guitar gimmick to someone who's actually on your roster. You have to bring in Jeff Jarrett to do it. And we're not even picking on Cross because, I mean, Psycho left a cage too to escape to help to help Super Porky fight off Jarrett and then climbed back into the cage to continue wrestling the match. So at this point, I think we were all a little worried we were watching the never-ending story version AAA cage match. Yeah, but they had planned spots they wanted to get in. And one of them was Psycho Clown running off Jeff Jarrett for whatever reason, so... They had and draw, dropping his belt during the belt spot, which was a new one. 
yeah, that was not that was that was amusing. Um, I, the crowd was way into Psycho Clown, this, and it, they were way more into the Lamasker mask issue than they've been in a long time, just because Psycho Clown was involved. This, uh, as you alluded to earlier, this probably should have been the time they did the Psycho Clown. Lamascara Maximo hair match if they're actually going to do it. And if Lamascara or Maximo are actually going to lose their hair this year, it would have been much more to happen on this show than it would be just to be a mid card match on Triple Mania. I, I mean, if, if, sorry. If, if, if the issue is that Ray Scorpion was, is actually the guy who's going to lose his hair, which is definitely possible, <laughs> um, then I guess that's the reason why you couldn't do it. But they need another big match on the show. And it was clear that they saw that Psycho Clown was the biggest star of the AAA guys on the show. Yep. And I mean, if you're building it to La Mascara losing, let's say, for example, he doesn't have much hair, so he can lose it. Yeah. You know, and Maximo can lose his hair every two months for all as fast as it grows back. You know, they might as well have just done that as the main event here and taken Maximo's hair to build to Psycho beating Mascara or taking Maximo's hair now to build to Psycho beating Mascara Triple Mania. It just. There's no, I mean, they've already done a stid match with this feud, and for some reason it was on a spot show and not a TV show, which is really confusing. Yeah, well, that's just because they wanted to get Brazil Apollo extra payday, and, and I'm, I'm guessing AAA was not as hyped to do that. They they have gotten extra payday by putting him on TV a couple times when he probably should not be on TV doing angles, but um, I, I, I think you could tell that the crowd kind of died off in the next couple of matches because of the cyclone was the star they saw. I kind of wonder if even they could have just even positioned this as the main event and it would save some dead time of them setting up and taking out the cage. Um, yeah. And it's like the mat, the way they did the match. I mean, this match had the big power bomb at the end. You had blood, you had weapons, you had table, you had a cage. I'm not sure what the thought, I mean, I know what the thought process was, but I'm not sure that a real logical thinking company would have thought, like, how can a straight, two straight matches following this top what just happened? Yeah. It, nothing was going to, because they did so much in here. Um, I think Seneca Khan continues to seem like he's, to me, like he's getting thinner and thinner. He's mm-hmm. not like he's out of shape, but he has lost so much mass from where he was a few years ago. I think it's helped them move around a little bit better. Um I don't think he made a big difference in this match. I think the people just like, love Psycho Cloud, so they were going to love him at any size he was. But it's um, interesting that that's happening. I don't know what that mean, if it means anything at all, but it's, it's unexpected to me when um, a guy gets in better shape when he's already over. You don't think that he's Cody's opponent for All In 2? I do not think he's Cody's opponent for <laughs> All In 2 as much as I want him to. Well, I guess we skipped that part because we're skipping around a little bit up for the in-between stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. Oh, shit. <laughs> It wasn't even intentional. It was the, earlier in the show. Cody um, came out to talk about the AEW alliance and tease Jericho and Omega coming in. I think he should have said the Corazon de Leon coming in. Maybe they would have gotten a pop because they really did not get. I mean, the internet fans, when uh, you can tell the the Mexican wrestling fans were very excited for the idea that Omega and Jericho were coming, but the mm-hmm. public did not really. It was not like the name that they recognized or cared about that much. Even Jericho, which surprised me because he's a guy on WWE TV so many years and a guy with some Mexican history, even though it's very long ago at this point. Um, Honestly, I think the problem was they had already tuned Cody out because he just started talking English. Yeah. So they were they weren't even following what he was saying. They had Hugo in there to translate, which occasionally met Hugo was translating English to English for some reason. <laughs> Hugo sometimes seems like he gets flustered in these situations, even though yeah. he's been in them for a while. Um, they had Conan coming out to be 
demand all me- all business in Mexico goes through him, which seemed probably like a shoot. Um, but <laughs> it, it was it turned it was weird how it turned in that Cody was the face because he was a vice president and Conan was only an employee, even though he seems like he's been presented as a uh, a programming director in other AAA segments. So it didn't really completely make sense to me, but didn't really need to make any sense. Um, Cody on one leg fought off Ray Scorpion Tejano by himself. Um, I saw this again on BTE, and this was helped by Tejano stopping being up Cody to yell that he's a mercenario, which seemed like a bad thing to yell out at that time, especially because it distracted him from the Cody bunch. Um, but Torres ended up spearing Cody in the most incredible thing that happened. I think in the overall scheme of things, it was important that someone got something on AEW guys, even though bizarre that it was Taurus because it just hard as much as we love Taurus, it's hard to believe that Taurus is actually going to get to do something because even AAA doesn't give him anything to do. But it was nice that he got the big moment. Um and then well, when he came out when he came out there, I think we just all assumed he was there to get killed. Yes. We assumed that he was the guy being killed and that if anyone was going to get anything in, it was going to be Tejano or Scorpion and it turned out the other way. Um and then Psycho Clown made the heroic save with it was interesting who they chose to put out there. It was Psycho Clown, it was Leish and I, it was Taya, it was Erosar and Drago as the big heroes of AAA. I think Erosar and Drago probably especially out there too because they are guys that a U.S. audience might recognize better than, say, Laredo Kid or Rikingo. But it was interesting that they picked those guys over which guys they picked for the big AAA stars. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, we'll we'll expand on this later on the show, but, you know, Conan, he has no defined role in AAA. That's, it's a yeah, big he's, issue. He's a leader of MAD, which may or may not exist. He's also the AAA programming director and sometimes. He's also a heel who's against the promotion and wanting to take it down other times. Um, he also seems like he's a friend of Dick and Matt Jackson by the end of the show. It's, it's like if you, Conan is whatever they need that segment to be. It, it, it varies quite a bit. And he's the, he's the baby face cap, baby face commentator on Lucha Capital, who is putting everybody over who he ends up attacking on the shows. So it's very strange if you're a AAA fan who's actually following all these shows to be watching this. And there's like, it's kind of like watching WWE where there's no continue con- continuity with the characters from match to match on a three hour show. At the begin at the beginning, they could start as heels, finish the spaces, and then on the next show, just come back out as heels again. And this affects this affects other people around them. I mean, we saw it later on with the Bucks, and we're, we're going to see it here with Cody. Because I bet you anything, the next time Cody shows up, the fans are going to boo him because he's a he's a foreigner. That's how it works. Yeah, I, I thought it was very weird that the presentation was of him as a face, but uh, coming out with the U.S. flag, which is which AAA fans have been trained to believe that's that's always a bad guy who comes out with the USA flag. To Jarrett. Yeah. So. It didn't completely make sense, but I think a lot of the AEW stuff was done more for the benefit of the AEW audience than anything that makes sense with um, AAA. We'll get this in the main event, but they added the way they added all the Conan stuff out of the main event. It was just the Jacksons versus the Lucha Brothers, and the whole angle there was just was I think intended for a AAA audience with Conan, but it, it's not something that AEW was all that concerned with. So. They can probably add it to that's for the Cody Road series of videos too. And 
these last two matches were basically, like you said, they were basically custom made for the AEW audience because the crowd, like you said, was less into everything going on now. But this is these are the semi-main that we're about to get into. That's the type of match that you would want to present to newer fans who were tuning in to see the Bucks. Yeah, so you had a lot of different characters doing a lot of big spots um, in the way that may fit with a Young Bucks match. And maybe a couple of people they were familiar with, but a lot of people they were not, but they were still doing enough stuff to get them over. So the semi-main, because they flipped the cage in the Ray the Rays, so the semi-main turned out to be the Ray the Rays match with um, Erosur winning the Ray the Rays over Laredo Kid, Neil Delphikingo, Jack Evans, Sammy Guevara, Eclipse Vengador Jr., Taurus Gold Magic, and this is Jr. Eclipse Vengador Jr. appears to be Lancelot getting the character off the Portal Mas- Mascara show that's on Space that I have never heard anyone talk about since it aired, but I'm sure Space is happy to get the character to cross over, and that may be part of a deal with him being on the channel. It really doesn't matter because he was the first guy eliminated, and it's Lancelot, so it's not like Lancelot was going anywhere as Lancelot anyways. Um, even and it may just have been for tonight. Who knows if it's regular? Tonight, it, it, it does remind me that Lancelot was a heel last time we saw him, and I think he was a Technico here, but I'm not absolutely sure. Yes. Um, there was a lot of offense. There was Jack and Sammy doing tag team spots with no explanation of where Suicide was until he posted on Twitter the next day that it was hurt. There was tours eliminating people in mass for a while as like an unstoppable monster. To once again, give you an idea that they might go someplace with tourists, although we, the last like four years have kind of indicated differently. Um, Irisar actually, I didn't realize until I was looking at the eliminations, but he pinned the last three guys in a row too. So mm-hmm. he got he got a strong performance to the win. As best as I can figure, it's probably a way to build him up before he has that mass match with Monster Clown. But I, don't, I think it's still Monster Clown, so I'm not sure how big of a deal it is. But at least it's an idea to. It, it was a good guy to pick, and it was a good guy to spread their wins around. I think I was still gone with Taurus or Vikingo, but. I don't think there's. it's a bad call going to the Eurostar. Yeah, with the way the match was going, and by the way, the match was laid out fantastic, whoever did it. I thought that everything was good, from Taurus beating people to Eurostar winning at the end, like you pointed out. When, when Taurus kept eliminating people, I figured it was he was just going to run the gauntlet and eliminate everybody until the end, where someone like Vikingo would end up going over him. Because, you know, that would be like conquering the big, the big monster throughout the match. But I mean... It was good. I was a little worried because at one point Torres eliminated four guys and then he was in there with Jack and Jack gave him the kick and went up for the 630 and I was like they're not really going to have Jack beat Torres. No offense to Jack but Jack's kind of been nowhere in AAA lately and is in like some bottom of the card trios team so he should not be pinning Torres and thankfully he didn't. The yeah Lancelot or Vengador Jr. was treated like just some random guy. He All the dives in the match were cool. Everybody got in big spots. I thought Mrs. Jr. might have looked the best out of everybody doing all his spots. Although Loretto Kid had another excellent match. I mean, he keeps delivering, as we noted in the PWG recap. Aerostar was eh, hit and miss in the match, but I mean, he was a deserving win at the end. The crowd the crowd was quiet, like we said, but they did get into the Aerostar versus Loretto one-on-one portion. They were into the near falls that went on there, and he did a couple cool stuff like the front cracker off the top rope. And then the finishing sequence that led to his cutter to win, that was cool. A uh, little surprising to see Aerostar eliminate Vikingo. I, I thought for sure it would go the other way around. But, I mean, if he was winning, obviously, it made sense. And Vikingo doesn't lose anything. But a uh, waste of Sammy. There was no reason for Sammy to be here, but whatever. I guess it would have made more sense if Australian Suicide was there. 
I guess the only unanswered question from this match from everybody is why they kept saying there were going to be 11 guys in it when only nine were announced and nine ended up wrestling. Yeah, it, it, it made no sense. It seemed like AAA was disorganized. I think the other person who had the theory that they were trying to throw people off to think that the Young Bucks were in that match, but I don't think anyone really occurred to them that the Young Bucks would be in the Raider race. Why would they be in any other match besides the match with the Lucha Brothers? So yeah. Maybe they had suicide and someone else in that match, and they didn't realize they needed to take him out until they already gave out the script. Um, but It's possible. So many people were saying 11 that it couldn't have been. Like, at first we thought Vampiro just screwed up because he said it. But on the Spanish announced team, both guys were saying it, and then Adrian kept saying it too. So Zuniga said it when he got into the ring to announce the match. So something, there was definitely a plan. Maybe Conan will eventually tell what it was on his podcast. Although, still, the priority for me is to Conan explain what the deal was with Averno Batman. Because <laughs> these are mysteries that, that cannot be solved, but must be solved. But this match was the match of the night for me, and I thought it was the match of the weekend, like better than anything on the CMLL show, even the trio titles match. Yeah, I felt the same way that this was... Because it felt a lot fresher, because it was just different people having the match. Um, than having the same sort of match that, that seems like it happens all the time with the Savall match. So I would say this was easily better than the, the CML match for the match of the weekend for me. And that took us into the main event where I think if you were asking people who knew that the Bucks were going to be there, everybody was assuming it would be a three-way match. Right. The, I, when they came out to do the match and they had an announcement for the matches – for the teams, I was expecting the Young Bucks to show up, and when the Young Bucks did not immediately show up, I was kind of worried that, oh no, have I been wrong about this thing all the time? But I guess it just needed to be about six more minutes of patience, because they did show up. In the meantime, the Mercenarios and the Lucha Brothers had a match that felt like they were just short on time and trying to do the high spots when they didn't have much time to do anything besides that, which is kind of disappointing, because you could see them having a good match, but they were not having a good match with the people involved. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was. Maybe it was just because they were rushing or maybe Tejano and Rhea Scorpion were in a bad mood because they knew that they were going to be treated like such losers. So like a guy like Rhea Scorpion, I've never seen him mess up in a match as much times as he did. I've never seen him mess up in a match, period, let alone a couple times that he did in this match. Phoenix was doing dives all over the place, including diving into the crowd near the finish and then Pentagon hit the package power driver, one, two, three. I don't even remember the Rudos getting in any sort of offense, maybe like 30 seconds worth. And that was it. They pinned them. And that's when I realized, you know, when the pin came out of nowhere that quickly, I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly not just going to be the Bucks attacking them. They're going to do an actual match coming up. And I think most people started to clue in on that when the match was so short like that. I think the fans at home who knew about the about the Young Bucks being involved were clued in on that. But I think if you were a fan... If you were just a normal fan who did not was not following the news and did not know who the Young Bucks were, you probably were just kind of a little taken aback that the main event that we were promised was so short. I think throwing Conan out there right away probably prevented everyone getting too upset about because they moved on to the next thing. But it was, I think, I think if you actually believe that was the main event, and I'm not sure who people, if you actually believe that was the match you were there to see, I think you probably went home a little bit sad. Um, Oh, for sure. But like we said, a lot of people left after the cycle match. Yeah, so I don't know how many people actually believe that was the main event for them. But I think, so this is a bigger picture question. Did Teano have a 
worse Ray the Ray is this year or last year where his hero cut did not even make the stream? <laughs> he's, next year, Ray the Ray is, he's just going to ask to work the first match so he can just get out of there and everything airs. He can go work the rock show in Phantasma and just not be on the show. It'll be much safer for him. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, maybe there's the 11th guy that was supposed to be in the Raider Maybe. Well, no, because they moved him to a later match. when Because you would see he was working the Rock Show, and the people who were on that Rock Show who needed to be in public were, got moved to the first two matches, and he was moved to the main event. So wherever the situation was, they were not going to use him on that day. You would think that a guy like Fantasma would be more into a schedule like that after working CML for so many years, going from Mexico City to Puebla the same night. Yeah, that's just commonplace for him. I'm sure he maybe he'd been willing to do it, and it was not his choice to do it. But, but the after the Lucha Brothers cut the tiles, they were confronted by Conan, which I think the idea is that Conan is still mad about Phoenix turning them down, about joining Mad, even though Mad is not a thing anymore. And so just turning them down in general, which led to the, the Young Bucks showing up as a surprise. That was a surprise to most of the audience who did not know who they were. Um, Phoenix and Pentagon took out Conan with a super kick, which was supposed to be a big deal because uh, Conan always gets teased like he's going to get hit in every one of these confrontations and never does. This time he got the super kick, but it was something that was completely forgotten because they went right into a match. The announcers knew it was a title match, even though there was really no indication to any of the fans live what was going on for a while. No whistle, no bell. No whistle, no bell, no title belt presentation. You could see Piero handing off the titles to the person at ringside. But I think if you were a fan at ringside, who does not know again? Who does not know these young bucks? You must have been massively confused about all that's going on. They eventually got into it as the Lucha Brothers made their comeback and got a couple near falls in, but it was not. It was like one one hundredth of the reaction this would have gotten in like the United States, I think. And it was super short. Yeah, it was only about seven minutes. I think I timed to that, and it was um, mostly. The Young Bucks being working over the Lucha Brothers for a while, the Lucha Brothers getting a comeback, and then Phoenix getting taken out ringside before everyone else was, before they double teamed Pentagon until he could not get up and continue anymore and got bit. Um, yeah, they hit the Indy Taker on the floor, and then the Melter Driver, which was not called the Melter Driver by anybody. No. Although I think there was a discussion about it uh, that Jose Manuel mentioned that he should have called this an ultra driver, and it was just it just did not occur to him that it was had at that moment. So he was kind of apologetic about it. He was too caught up in the rabid crowd reaction. Yeah, it was it was a situation where I mean I'm not sure AAA has enough trouble getting over their own new wrestlers that I'm not sure that even if they tried they could have got the young bucks over to the Jarns because that's just not what they do well. But the way they were presented here, they had no hope of getting that match over. Um, I watched BTE this. I watched yeah, BTE because I'm an insider. I watched um, Being the Elite earlier today, and you could tell they played some of the highlights with live noise, and then they played a lot of music over it when they showed extended highlights of the match. Um, they also used the camera that Brandon Cutler was using at ringside, and they never used the AAA broadcast, which was interesting. Which I think we both thought, listening to the AAA broadcast, that the AAA announcers were trying to make loud noises to make sure that they were part of. The angle when they were shown on AEW TV and then it did not, or AEW YouTube, and then they did not even get concluded on AEW YouTube because they had their own video. Um, yeah, Hugo was yelling out that the Young Bucks were there before we even saw them on the screen because I assumed he was trying to get in the video. And then earlier on the show, the part we left out was like Cody 
said that Hugo is going to be the Spanish correspondent for AEW, which I have no idea what that means. No, I assume that meant he was going to be announcer, but they never said announcer, so maybe it's something they have some other slightly different role planned for him. But maybe it was nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's also possible. <laughs> um, yeah, the, it was a. Listen, the match was fine, but I mean, wrong crowd, wrong time, wrong everything. Nothing about this. Nothing about this made sense except to the people that it needed to make sense to, which is basically the Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, Conan, and I guess Dorian, because Dorian would definitely be a part of something like this. But the only thing that kept going through my head is that, like, Barry Salapena is sitting there front row for this. Okay? Now, we know how this always goes with Conan and AAA. A major show will come. He will say the card that he wants and the stars that he wants to be on the show. Then he will submit it to them. They will look it over and they will say, this is not happening. This is what we want on the show. Our changes. Now, can you imagine if Conan goes to them and says, for Triple Mania, I want the main event to be like Lucha Brothers versus LAX versus the Bucks or something like that. Or Kenny Omega and the Bucks against the Lucha Brothers and Psycho Clown. You know, Marcelo's going to look at that and be like, no, why would I want to put the Bucks in the main event of the major show after sitting front row and watching them completely bomb in front of this Puebla crowd? And then Conan's going to get mad and be like, she doesn't know anything about the Bucks. Of course, she's not going to want them on the show, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it's hard not to see it from Maricela's point of view when you watch something like this. She's the type of person who has no idea who these guys are. I guarantee you. Right. Right. And, And she's watching this and probably thinking in her head like, why is this happening in my company where I make decisions? Why am I paying all this money? Like, you know, the bucks aren't coming in for free. Why am I paying this money for these guys to come in and do this? That's only going to appeal to everybody who's not in the audience that I need to be getting money from. It was just such a all messed up. Yeah, it was, it it was not a, you know what it felt like? I was thinking about this. It felt like when they would they do sometimes at baseball games or sporting events, and they've done this at wrestling shows where they're like, they need to film a scene for a movie. So they just kind of film it while the wrestling fans are still there and have them stick around to make noise. But it's, it's like people being out of character or playing different roles or like an actor coming in to do his scenes. It felt like completely disconnected from the rest of the show, especially as soon as they, as soon as the young bucks came in, it was just, it was a scene for a different show. And I think, because these guys are good, they got people into it by the end. But it felt completely disconnected from everything else was going on. But for the purpose of what, for the AEW's purposes, it worked fine because they got the video. They got to do the Young Bucks versus Lucha Brothers match, do the title change and build it up without actually doing the real match and getting people and giving away the match that they wanted to save for later on. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, to, I think in. For AEW and the Young Bucks purposes, they are happy not having that hyped up because they don't want they would find people not actually watching that whole match because they want that to be a a unique thing that they get to see on the Double or Nothing show. So they don't want to give that away completely now. And so going short or going to a show that was not not very advertised works in their favor. I don't know how this I don't know in the long run how this benefits AAA to be used this way, but because I don't think, I don't think it's not like AEW was paying AAA to use their show as their platform to run their angle. I'm sure AAA was probably paying to bring these guys in, or that they're it's part of whatever long term deal they're doing. Um, 
maybe this will pay. Maybe AEW will treat the AAA guys like the Cody. Look how Cody hyped up Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. Maybe at some time on Double or Nothing, they'll hype up Psycho Clown and um, Laredo Kid. But I don't think that's actually how the way that these things usually work with AAA. I think they got to be part of a thing that's hot in the U.S. and that makes them feel good. But I don't know that's going to help them all that much. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with everything you just said, and I was just going to ex- probably say the exact same thing. That you know, I see a lot of people who don't know. Oh well, there's some people who do know a lot about AAA and some people who don't know a lot about AAA talking about, well, this is just the start. I don't think so. I mean, everybody thinks that this is going to be some big agreement. I'm telling you, like the Bucks are not coming back to work the next Tijuana taping. You probably won't even see them again until Triple Mania. You might see uh, Cody and Omega, maybe not, probably not Omega, probably Cody work on Triple Mania with the Bucks in some sort of match, not the main event, but they'll be on the show. Yeah, they'll want to be on the show because they'll be good marriage for them to be in front of that many people. Right. But, I mean, I don't even see AAA guys going to double or nothing. I, I honestly don't. I know some people are speculating, but they've already announced the trios match with the OWE guys as the guest foreign attractions. I can't see them putting another another match on the undercard with AAA guys against some elite guys or some AEW guys that they have signed. I mean, maybe they bring in someone, let's say, like a Loretto Kid to be opposite a guy like Sammy Guevara, for example, or they do some scramble where Loretto Kid's involved in it and maybe an Aerostar type gets in there too. But this is not going to be the, the, the agreement that everybody wants. Like, this was done to benefit the people who were involved. Like, this was done to get Conan involved in being on being in the elite. This was done so Dorian can take credit as being part of something. This was done so the Lucha Brothers could continue their angle with them. You know, I mean, look how Ray Scorpion and Tejano were treated. If AAA was looking to get something out of this, they would have insisted, hey, we're going to make, we have to make this a three-way because we want a Scorpion and Tejano to get a chance to be working a match with the Bucks and to be on on these clips so like they could be introduced to a new type of crowd. But I mean... We talked about this afterwards via audio message on WhatsApp. Clearly, someone made the decision that the Bucks were not to be anywhere near guys like Tejano and Rey Scorpion, who are considered top AAA stars. And right there, that should tell you everything you need to know about what went on at Rey de Reyes. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was just for the benefit of. Uh, it was not. There were easy ways that AAA could have made it a little bit better for them, and they kind of gave pretty much all they could to the AEW side. I mean, having the one thing they got out of it was that Taurus got to got to spare Cody Rhodes. Did so that make Did that make BT? That made BTA because they made a joke out of it because the young bucks were there like, we got your back, Cody, whatever happens. And then they were on their phones when that happened. So they didn't see it happen. So they didn't run. that was their excuse for not running out there. Um, oh, okay. But that was more treated like a joke. It'll be more interesting to see how they play it on, because we have a young bucks video series and we have a Cody road series and the Cody road series is much more serious than the young bucks. one. It's like two different tones, but if they, if they play up the tourist thing on there, then maybe it turns into something. But if it just, Cody, it sounds like if it, Cody laughs it off, or if it's just like part of the scenes of being in Mexico, then then even that doesn't matter. But I, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it'd be nice for AAA to get over in the U.S., but since AAA is never going to take advantage of themselves, as we've seen, that doesn't matter. AAA needs to show Torch 
spearing big U.S. star Cody Rhodes multiple times on their TVs over the next few years. It was just something that just gets shown in the process of showing Ray the Reyes when it airs two months from now, because the TV is very slow, Then and never is brought again. It really doesn't really do that much for them. And I think that's the problem they've had, not just with AEW, but anytime they do these sort of big spots is that they happen once. They're mentioned maybe on the the sum-up video showing the next week's TV. This is what happened last week, but then they're never mentioned again, like so many chessmen falls off cages. Um, if they go something with the tour stuff and they keep following up, then maybe they, maybe you can say, well, at least we got that out of it. But I don't – with AAA, everything happens and then it's forgotten five minutes later or it just keeps on going in the same direction until it doesn't get the payoff. So I don't even know that we can count that much as a win. Yep. And I don't want people to think that we're just – outright bearing this. I mean, from a AAA point of view, yes, we are. But we both understand why it was done. We're not, we're not that stupid. We know, we know the, reason, the, po- the political reasons behind this and everything. And, you know, it happened. It doesn't mean that it brought the show down or anything. The show was still great. I mean, I gave, like I said, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Successful Ray DeReyes. But, I don't know. I just think that this was exactly... I go back to the analogy that you gave. This was like the extra, the movie scene at the end. And you could see why people like us who cover AAA regularly might be a little annoyed that AAA would be so easily give up on everything and sacrifice their own guys just for AEW to get over. You know, AAA should see themselves as a top promotion. It's kind of like the same argument we have with CMLL when the CMLL guys go to Ring of Honor and get treated like just total afterthoughts. And we're like, you know, CMLL is really much, 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 much bigger than Ring of Honor and shouldn't be subservient to them. But they end up like that because they don't care. And with AAA, it's not that they don't care. It's that they they want to be subservient to these companies because they look at the other companies as bigger. Yeah, they fawn over any international group they, that pays attention to them. We, we can see this going back to even when they had the Noah guys in, where the mm-hmm. Noah guys were always presented as these huge stars bigger than the AAA guys, even guys that they would give the tag team titles to, um, even though it, even if it didn't really make sense for AAA. And the stuff where the Impact guys were, whatever Impact guy came in, it, it was it's good to take advantage of them to make them big stars when they come in, so you feel like you have big stars, but they kind of um, treat their own guys as sometimes second-rate guys comparatively. Yep. So that was Ray DeReyes. Yeah. I mean, it... it, it Complain, I feel like complaining about the Young Bucks stuff overlooks how much good the rest of the show was, but it was it was the way they chose to end the show. I think if they put the Young Bucks stuff earlier and they ended up with the Ray the Reyes match or the cage match, I think people would have had a stronger feeling of the show. And maybe people have been awake when the Young Bucks stuff actually happened. Mm-hmm. So those are the shows that have happened. We both saw the Ring of Honor show, too. Um, I don't know if you want to say much about a one-hour match, but the Bandito Rush match, I thought, was pretty good. Rush is obviously, at this point, working a lot harder in Ring of Iron than he does in CML, and even than he seems to do when he goes for Fantastic Mania for New Japan. So I, I think the Rush-Dalton Castle match will surprise people as being better than they expected, because I think I, I feel like those guys' styles fit each other, but it's just a weird storyline because they Dalton Castle hasn't been really built up. He's actually been turned down to an illusion streak, and now he's challenging Rush, which doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, and I think that's a matchup. I think I think it'll be a match that's better than people think, but I don't think it's a match that anyone's going to be looking forward to seeing on the MSG show. And there's going to be people a little bitter that there's a Rush 
castle match instead of a New Japan match in that spot, even if they have nothing to do with it. Yeah, I, I was perplexed by the result, to put it nicely, because uh, I'm pretty sure that Bandito's in the bigger match. I'd be pretty sure Bandito's match is a little bigger than Rush versus Dalton Castle, which is going to fit somewhere in the undercard and probably get like five minutes, considering the amount of matches that they seem to be booking for this show. Uh, I thought Rush was trying hard, like you said. I still think that he's not completely there. There were a couple of really noticeable blown spots, but I like the match. I mean, we're never going to see a match like that in Mexico. It's just not going to happen for political reasons, but also <laughs> if it happens in Mexico, Rush is not going to work as hard as he did in this match, to put it nicely. So this may have been a one-time only thing. Uh, Bandito looked super. I think Rush needs to find a new finisher because I don't think anybody buys that corner dropkick as a finish. And he definitely needs to drop the whole nothing happens thing because that makes him seem very stupid. Yeah, but I, I don't see that happening. Um, I can see him being stubborn about what their correct pronounced translation is, even if he's completely wrong about it. Um, but it should be... But yeah, I'm... I would have gone with Bandito winning the match either because I see more upside in Bandito and Ring of Honor. I think he translates better. And I think mm -hmm. Rush should probably be using the double underhook pile driver. I think he did it originally. So I'm surprised he got away with it. Or people decide that wasn't safe. But Maybe because uh, it's the J-Driller. Oh, okay. See, that's the thing I don't realize. So, But he can come up with something else. I, I think the dropkick does not... Maybe I've been watching too many hero dropkicks that, or hero <laughs> dropkicks that I, I don't really take his dropkick seriously anymore. But it it seems like an odd. You really have to lay it in to make it look good, and I'm not sure you want to lay it in all that often there. The the extra bummer to the result though is like when I look at the MSG card and I see Dragon Lee versus Ishimori versus Bandito. I mean. I look at it as that was going to be Bandito's first loss in Ring of Honor. It seems obvious that he's taken the pinfall in that match. And now he loses this one too. It's kind of like, oh, they're, they're already positioning him to lose both matches. Where does he go after that? I guess, hopefully, he ends up with the best of Super Juniors, but I worry that ROH has no endgame. I thought they had an endgame for him. And, and also, I don't like the fact... I mean, I don't want to rant. We've, this podcast has been going on long enough. I don't want to go into another huge rant, but I worry that... This was a whole, hey, we can't have the CMLL guy lose to the guy who isn't a part of CMLL. And I think that's totally the wrong way that ROH should be looking at it because I think that they are the dominant uh, group when it comes to ROH versus CMLL. Like we just talked about how passive CMLL is, how subservient they are. And I think they should have really protected Bandito. In the first place, this match should have never been made, but whatever. Yeah, I know we both see a higher upside in the U.S., for Bandito than Rush. And I think putting him in a situation where it, it seemed like the crowd was already getting behind Bandito a lot on the shows they've had beforehand. So taking the steam off him by having him move this one and probably losing the MSG show is kind of is is not ideal. But um, And again, we're at the point where Rush is cool and everything because he hasn't been asked to lose. Yeah, You're building up to a point now where he's going to be asked to lose at some point, And then you're going to have a whole new animal to deal with because I'm sure he'll be fine losing. I don't know if he'll be fine losing clean. And I don't know if ROH will be happy with that. Yeah. So that's, it's something that's going to be an issue for the future, but I, but it's not clear that 
Ring of Honor realizes it's going to be an issue, but but we'll see how that turns out. Maybe it'll, it'll, maybe things will maybe we'll figure things out later on. But obviously, they are higher on Rush at the moment, so because I don't think it's gonna be as as the MSG match either, as where it is to have the guy who's the champion or was a champion recently lose a match on the big show like that. But I think I think Rush is getting built to something, or at least going to keep on winning for now. It is funny, like I was telling Bandito, I was trying to explain to him the significance of wrestling in Madison Square Garden, that he's going to be the first Mexican to work in Madison Square Garden who's not working for a McMahon. And now we actually have three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Out of nowhere on the same show. Yeah, so I guess Rush will be first. I think that match will be a little bit sooner in the show, but he, will, but he won't get to be in the title match like the other two. No. I think... Everyone is a little bit rightly disappointed that that's not going to be a singles match between Ishimori and Dragon Lee, or even Ishimori and Bandito, or Dragon Lee Bandito. But I think we're probably, as long as Bandito has a match, uh, does find that match, I'm sure we're going to see those singles matches coming up in May in the Super Juniors. I think that, that was my takeaway from Bandito being put in this match is that New Japan has given him the thumbs up because otherwise they wouldn't have let him near a title match. So. As long as he does fine here, I think that means he's probably going to get a lot more opportunities. And the people who've been really excited to see him in Best of Super Juniors are probably going to get their wish. Yep, I just hope that they treat him with a little more respect than they do the CML guys they always bring over to lose. Oh, no, I still expect him to go three and five. Ah, oh, don't say that. I'll be so angry. You're going to be angry. Just prepare it. You're not going to be as angry as the Analdeiro or Titan guy who's not going to get that spot because Bandito's over there. But you're going to be angry. Yep. So that Rush versus Bandito versus not first versus Bandito. Bandito versus Dragon Lee versus Ishimori is one of like a billion Lucha Libre matches I've noticed on WrestleCon weekend. You guys at High Spots, he's part of High Spots. I don't think we ever mentioned that, but yeah. Um have Dragon Re- Dragon Lee. I wrote Dragon Rojo. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, holy shit. That's not what we want. Dragon Lee versus Kevin Earl and Bandito versus Osprey on the WrestleCon show. Kevin Irv was a guy that I think we both wanted to see in the U.S. for a long time, and this is, looks like it's going to be his only chance to be in a high-profile U.S. indie that weekend. So, or that because he's not, it's not going to be hanging around as it is for any of the other shows. So the, he is not hanging around for any other shows. I can confirm that. And Dragon and Kevin Irv have always been great. I don't think they've had their best match against each other yet. I'm not sure. I think because it's going to be an unfamiliar crowd and they're going to have a lot of big matches, I'm not sure if it's going to be like the five-star match, but this might be like the four-and-a-half-star match, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm looking, just happy that more people get eyes on Kevin Irv and hope he takes advantage of it. Bandito Osprey is a dream match, and I think Osprey is moving. It feels like they haven't announced it yet. So maybe he'll still be in Buster Super Juniors, but I feel like he's moving up to heavyweight. So this might be, even if Bandito makes it over New Japan, this is not a match. I don't think they're going to ever run in New Japan. So it's a dream match that might be the only time it ever happens anytime soon. So I think those are the only two matches you've announced for the Super Show. Is that right? Uh, yes. Those are, well, Zack Sabre has an open challenge. We just we did announce that. And the Zack Sabre match will be, he's challenged anybody who he has never faced in a singles match before and never defeated. Yeah. So it will be another first-time dream match. And Phoenix and Penta are on that show because they are on literally every show that weekend. <laughs> yes, they will be on the show. Dragon Gate guys will be on the show. There will be a lot of Mexican representation on that show, I can promise you that. 
that Thursday, if for some reason you have not gotten your tickets to WrestleCon and are going elsewhere and, make, and making what I think Rob would say a tragic mistake by going elsewhere, but you still get to see Pentagon versus LA Park at the MLW show and Gringo Local versus He Hell at LA Park, which should be fun. I think Gringo Local and um, He Hell will actually match up pretty well considering Gringo's strings as a base and Park's willing, wanting to do all sorts of crazy spots. The park, the park kid versus Puma match from MLW this week. Ooh, I did not like that. It did not go well. I'm not it did not go well. MLW TV, but was it just they just didn't match well? It's just very cold. I, I don't like Park's kid doing Park shtick. It's oh. very comes off very poor and very minor league. Okay, so yeah, huh, minor league. I see what I did there. Yeah, they, they want. It's better if he does. I guess with Greenhill, he's more likely to do more flying. Maybe we'll see. Um, I would hope so, yeah. That same day has Pentagon and Phoenix versus Rob Van Dam and Sebu at the Impact Show, which should be weird. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> going to be good, but I think it's, it doesn't really have to be good. I think people just want the picture of those two teams in the same ring. Yep. And then Bestia and Damien are at the AEW show. And is that mm-hmm. the same night that the that the Pentagon-Great Muda match is happening? Is that something? No, that's Saturday. That's Saturday. Okay, I think yeah. I got. A li- I made a list, and I couldn't even find a place to put that on the list because there's so many different things. Yeah, there's a, and then uh, I think, no, for sure, Puma is working the Destiny slash Fight Club show that's going on at three Thursday before the WrestleCon Super Show. Okay. And is, okay. I don't even know. You know what? Since we're way in a deep podcast and no one's listening because everyone's tuned out by then. Well, I'm letting you talk because I think it would come off in poor taste if I just kept chilling the WrestleCon show myself, considering I'm involved in it. Okay, I, I'm going to chill the WrestleCon stuff because it's like I'm staying at the WrestleCon hotel, and my biggest fear of this new whole New York weekend is that I'm either going to get lost going to someplace, or that it's going to take me so much longer to go someplace that I'm going to miss half the show or miss the shows I want to go to. Really. In my mind, I just wanted the Super Show, the NXT show, and the New Japan show. I don't want to be on time for them. I have tickets for other shows, but I'm like, I am afraid that I'm going to like try to go to like like WXW or something. I'm not going to WXW, but example, and then never make it back in time and miss half the Super Show coming back. That's my big fear with these New York shows. So. It's a it's a valid concern, and I see a lot of people are basically making their show decisions on the fact. Where can I stay in one place and get the most wrestling, or at least the most wrestling I'm interested in, yeah. rather than running back and forth between New York first, New Jersey second, and then trying to get back to New York for something else, or vice versa? I'd like to see some of these shows at different venues, but I'm just afraid that I will somehow mess that up somehow. I just, well, you're welcome to I stay at WrestleCon all day. Person or a person who would like to be in charge of things, what I would do is <laughs> my plans to set up like, like locations like meetup spots at every different location so you would have like at the WrestleCon venue you would have a place to stand for an MLW show if you're going to there next or if you're going to the collective place next so then everyone at that spot can just like share an uber or share the directions and go together and so because there's going to be like 20 different ubers going to the same place with two people in it and if someone organized it everyone can make a little bit more money and, and actually have no idea what have a better idea what they're doing but it's going to be more horror stories about people missing shows, I think, this weekend. I think there was like a Reddit thread that somebody pointed me in the direction where people were actually like planning group trips. And like, I think there was even like, oh, I have a 
I have a friend in the city who's a taxi driver and he can be like waiting for us after shows. So we don't even have to call, like we can just jump out. And those are the people who are, you know, are ahead of the game that they're going to have rides waiting to know exactly where they're going and have somebody waiting to pick them up. That's, that's how you got to do it. If you want to go show to show, if you're just doing it by public transportation, you're going to have a fucking hell of a time. So that's my plan to do public transportation. So yeah. It's going to go great. Have you told Alan? <laughs> No, I think the problem is, you know, I've talked to different people. Alan, I'm sharing a room with, and I think we're going to different shows, except for half the shows. There are other people I know on Twitter who I only know through the internet and have never met in real life, but we're going to these shows. And we compared the list of shows we're going to, and they're going to nine, I'm going to seven, and there's maybe one that we're both going to. Because it's just so many shows. It's, it's insane. Friday has the USA versus the world, which I finally bought my ticket to you. With um, Sammy Guevara versus Puma King in the Battle of the Blog the Vloggers. So, I'd like to point out that I have more YouTube followers than both of them combined. But <laughs> um, there are good matches on that show. I didn't write down. If you're doing the just the Mexican guys, then yeah, we've got Daga teaming with his red partners Eita and Shimizu against the Rascals, yeah. Trey Miguel, Zachary Wentz, and Desmond Xavier. That would be the only lucha representation on that show. Later on, hopefully, hopefully, Daga doesn't turn on his teammates. Yeah, he, he just does not. He's not a group person right now. That's a that's an issue. I think yeah. he likes the red guys a lot better than he likes the Parasol. I would rather <laughs> hang out with either than Joel either, to be honest. But and for those who didn't see the news, Angelico was listed for the U.S. versus the World show, but he will not be coming that weekend. He had an issue with his visa, which we found out last week, and he is off the shows. That's too bad because I want to see him. He seems, I've been paying attention to this Twitter more lately, and he's working like all these small indie places all across Europe. So it's not like he's not getting work, but he's not getting work in much in places that get a lot of attention, it seems like. I'm going to spoil something for you based on your update, your news update today on the website. Yeah. If we're waiting until August for this Lucha Underground thing to finally, yeah. is it if that's the month where they're supposed to be released, let's, let's just make up a date. August 15th is the drop dead date. Yes. August 16th, he will be signed to a WWE contract. I See, I assume that he was, well, yeah, but he had the weird situation where he wanted to be free and clear and he might have just walked out in the contract and gone to a country where they couldn't get to him. So that would make sense. Um, that would also make sense that if he's not going to any place high profile because he's going to sign with WWE. So I hope that's a deal because it'd be nice for him to get that opportunity that he probably could have had years ago and trusted Lucha Underground and paid for trusting Lucha Underground. The the show people are trusting that hopefully will be good, that most people are not trusting will be good, but some people are. It's the Joey Ryan show. Joey, I don't know what the full name the is. The Joey Ryan penis party. The Joey Ryan show has... Actually, we've been talking about this previously, that I had in my mind that I might want to sell the NXT ticket because the NXT ticket is so ridiculously overpriced on the secondary market, and I did not want to see Gargano over Chiapa again. But now that Chiapa has had a almost career-ending neck injury that benefits me. So that's good. Um, not, not as much good for him. I'm, that, that's so mean. I don't know why I said that. There, there's a sound by it. The, the, the Joey Ryan show has the Puma versus Taurus versus Iguana versus Shark Boy versus Green Ant match. I wanted to see that one. And hopefully, are these WrestleCon shows going up on the High Spots Network eventually, or are they just on Fight TV streaming for right now? The live stream is on Fight TV, but then they're going up on the High Spots Network immediately after, okay. or as soon as we can 
get them up depending on the upload speed, but it should be good. We've tested it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, did you go over the penis party? It's going to have the Mexican representation or no? It will also have the Lucha Brothers versus Taya and Mundo on that show. And I think that's the only Mexican representation. That's no, the, did I, but did you do the animal match? Yes, I did the animal match. Oh, I must've yeah. tuned out for a second. Yeah. And then there's going to be more than that. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes up tomorrow, you will find out another match involving Mexican talent. Ninety percent sure. It's almost tomorrow already, but yeah, I, I I like the promo that Iguana and Pumantara shot for that match too. I thought that was amazing. Yep, and then uh, the the Rev Pro show is going to be before that. For anybody interested, there's no Mexican representation on that show. Yeah, the there's also and for sorry, just to clear up one other thing. Bandito is not working the penis party. I know I see a lot of people who are putting together the list of talent for the weekend. Bandito is not, if you're coming to see Bandito on that show, he will not be there. He's going to be all day with the ROH MSG meeting greet thing. That day also has the Black Craft show, which had the Pentagon for Sam Adonis match. I did not even know it was happening until, until I started. <laughs> Pentagon's working everywhere. Just, you know, it's like he's going to be on the Shimmer show. Yeah, it's very, it'll be very entertaining to be on the show. Um, Phoenix is a multi-man match on that show. Um, Pentagon and Phoenix are on the Ballarite show in MLW. And then there's an XT show, which I think also, like the Red Pro show, probably will have no Mexicans involved unless we can get Mendoza into like a pre-match dark match. But I don't think he's even that lucky lately. Um, I don't think we have anybody sitting in the crowd for that one either. It'd be nice. For, yeah, no. <laughs> The MLW show will have more Mexican guys that are unannounced right now. Yeah, yeah, because they're slowly rolling out the battle ride people. So I'm sure LA Parks is on that show. I'm sure Sun is on that show. I'm sure. And I think you, I think you missed on the impact. Did you talk about the Lucha Underground match? Oh no, I forgot about the Lucha Underground match. It's like Daga, Drago, Aerostar, and is it Cuerno? Yes. Wow. I'm surprised. <laughs> well, he's going to be there, and then they're facing a team of other Lucha Underground guys. Yeah, um, Dante Fox is on that show. So I found out I did. I do not keep up with the Wow, but the Wow finished taping for this season, so finishing new episodes. So my theory right now is that Dante Fox or King Corno might be the last Lucha Underground character to appear on anyone's show if Thunder Rosa is not back on that next Wow season. Wait a minute, I'm confused. How can I thought it's a four-person team? So who's on the Lucha Underground side if both Dante Fox and Corno are in there? Dante Fox is in the Ultimate X match they're doing. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. Yep. And then Saturday we have... We have Pancakes and Pile Drivers with Phoenix and Penta on the show in a, in a multi-team tag match. If they're still alive. If they're still alive. If Phoenix is alive, he goes from there to House of Glory where he takes on the Amazing Red. And Penta is with the Great Mood and the Trios. Okay, so that's where Penta is that day. I couldn't figure out why yeah. Penta was on that show. There's Those shows are at the same time, by the way. Yeah. There's also the Lucha Libre show that's in the Bronx somewhere that no one's going to know about. When it's, and it's going to be quietly canceled about four days before because that's the way these things go. But Blue Demon Jr. is on it. AAA main eventer Blue Demon Jr. is on it. Have I got an exclusive for you? Yes. Remember there was a Lucha show that was supposed to happen, I think it was two years ago, and it got canceled. The promoter just no-showed. Remember he had like 12 shows booked that weekend? Yes. And he just no-showed and all the guys got screwed. These flights are paid for. That Lucha show is happening. Okay. That, but if it happens and no one is there, does it count? 
that's a whole other issue. But I do think they will have families. They'll have their, yeah, they'll have their own audience. They'll have the, they won't have the people who are trying to go to eight different shows, but they'll have a Hispanic audience who wants to see those guys. Or they'll have the audience the that you hang out with at galley shows. Yes, definitely. Um, we have the New Japan show, which has the Bandito, Dragon Lee, Ishimori match, and apparently Rush for Stalton Castle. And we have the Joey Janela show that has L.A. Park versus Masato Tanaka. Now, do you think that they've informed L.A. Park that that's a midnight start and that his match is not going on first? No, absolutely not. So that will definitely be a thing when he asks for double the pay to stay up until 2 a.m. to work. The release, I mean, I know we both enjoyed the AEW podcast with L.A. Park being involved about booking him. There will be definitely more podcast-worthy material that will happen with L.A. Park before this weekend is over. Oh, yeah. It, between that and his eventual appearance at StarCast, where he realizes, like, hey, I should be getting paid triple because look at all the people here. It's going to be – this could be the final months that we see L.A. Park actually working in the United States. Yeah. He, he's going to eventually burn all his bridges and have worked everywhere once and that'll be the end of it. I think if MLW was not so needy in having Hispanic wrestlers, Hispanic drawing wrestlers on their shows – I, I'm not sure if he would have lasted as long as he did, but they need L.A. Park more. And L.A. Park needs them right now. So that one might be last longer than the other ones because they don't have well, great options. Well, here's my big question for you. Who wins, L.A. Park versus Penta on the first MLW show? It, okay, it's definitely an L.A. Park finish where there's like three different low blows and rough bumps. But I think L.A. Park wins because L.A. Park's going to be there long term. Didn't L.A. Park win the first time they fought? Yes. So you think the court's going to have the guts to tell Pinto, oh, by the way, you're losing again to L.A. Park? Yes. It's better than telling L.A. Park he's going to lose. I guess. I just, I wonder if, like, as of right now, I wonder if the plan is for Pinto to win and Park's agreed to it because he got the first win until the day of the show comes and he tells them, yeah, I'm not losing and I'm definitely not losing clean. Well, I, do you th- who do you think was going to lose when it was L.A. Park versus Rush? Uh, I thought Rush was winning. Yeah, so maybe L.A. Park. But I, I think L.A. Park will lose to Rush. He won't lose to Penton. Uh, yeah, maybe. He does not lose too many people. Yeah. Okay, and, then, and I think – and then uh, is there another one? Then Sunday, I think there may be a show with people on it. But I think Oh, yeah, that's the uh, – La Sombra is going to be in our one of the pre-show, right? I don't think Summers even. Well, Summers might be in the Battle Royal. So if that's an hour one of the pre-show, I think Rey Mysterio will be actually on the show getting a match with Samoa Joe. But I, I don't think... I think the people who thought that they were actually going to do a Andretti, Rey Mysterio, Hero versus Mass match, or Mass versus Hero match, whatever way I'm supposed to be saying that, um, were kind of deceiving themselves, given how Andretti's been used since he's been called up. Well, I got news for you. Yeah. There might be a somewhat Mexican in the main event. Because what if Sombra and Charlotte get married before the show? I don't think that's going to happen. I think that'd oh, be, okay. It'd be it'd be very entertaining. You don't think WWE is going to run a Billy Boy Granapache type angle with Stephanie or with Charlotte, Ric Flair, and Sombra? That would be great if they did, <laughs> just for the vignettes. But I think they're going to do their best to not to even acknowledge that relationship and hope it runs its course. But I hope everyone turns out happy. I just hope she wears her Ingo Bernabalis hat to the ring for that long entrance walk. That would be great. Everyone would be vastly confused, but that would be great. <laughs> It'll be a crazy fucking weekend, and I can't believe it's so soon. Two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's not that far away. 
I've got my flights. I've got my hotels. I don't. I've got too many people in my hotel room, but that's okay. Um, I've got vague plans of where I'm going to be. I've got. I, I've got the assumption that I will never see you at these shows, which you'll be too busy working. But that's okay. I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point. There'll be. There'll definitely be dead time. I mean, if you want to come hang out Sunday night, I've got nothing to do. I'm not there Sunday night, so I'm going. All right. Sunday. I'm going on Sunday morning. I'm. I'm not even sure if I'm going to watch WrestleMania this year. I probably will. I'll probably illegally stream it, but I'm not in a hurry to watch it. But what also, a, what that, a... that weekend, we have a CML show that no one will care about. <laughs> we, have, we have that Friday night, which I think is after NXT ends. We have a triple, the AAA show in Tijuana, which I will probably be streaming in my room. So, What a great... Go ahead. If I was better organized, I'd do a 2 a.m. watch party of the of Tijuana and some of the Tijuana show in some hotel, some some, I, some bar. So then people besides me could get very drunk watching it, which would probably help watch the Wagner match that's going to happen. I was going to say, what a great lucha podcast! We have one guy who's not even staying Sunday; he's going to rush home to catch up on Arena Mexico and AAA in Tijuana, yeah. and then you've got me who's probably just going to be holed up in the hotel room, just streaming the same thing and just. Being uh being an isolationist probably because I'll be so exhausted. Yeah, I I, I assume the, the reality is that we're both just going to be completely tired on Sunday, not want anything to do with wrestling. Yeah, I mean I'm staying till Tuesday, but I'm staying till Tuesday because I want to go see hopefully Seinfeld locations in New York City. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. I think I think the lesson I learned from last year is that it you need to add as much as it is nice to do all the wrestling stuff. It's better to do the to do the to sprinkle in some non-wrestling stuff or some stuff where you're just not standing yes. in the same convention center for the whole time. I enjoyed when I was just wandering down the um, riverfront or wherever I was walking in New Orleans for a while. And so that was good that I did that to get instead of watching a CZW show I would never have remembered. So I I have not bought I think the one time slot I haven't bought anything yet is for that reptile time slot, but uh, I think I'm just gonna wait till the day of the show and figure out if I want to go do something else instead of hanging out there all day. And then that Saturday too, um, there's the New Japan Joe, but there's not really that much to it. I mean, I could go to Pancakes Pile Drivers, but the Pancakes Pile Driver Show, the pancakes were good. The Pile Drivers and the wrestling was not, <laughs> so, much, not so good last time, so maybe I'll skip that. And well, uh, I'll be there and I'll be working at the convention, and then it's dead time after that. I mean, I'm going over to MSG obviously afterwards. But that was the syrup situation for the pancakes this year because that was an issue last year. Unclear, unclear right now. We will see. Okay, that's that's a day of the show determination. Yes, and I would like the only other thing I would like to note because Master Public did me a huge favor at PWG weekend. I would like to show that their Expo Lucha announced the main event for both nights coming up in August. They're doing it in San Diego. So the first night they're actually doing a rematch from last year's WrestleMania weekend. It's uh, Phoenix and Penta against Jack Evans and Teddy Hart. Hopefully it goes better than last year. I think the teams have a much better match in them than what, what they did last year. But I think last year it was a victim of they it was basically like the seventh or eighth match for the Lucha Brothers that weekend. And it was a morning match, which mornings are not good for Teddy and Jack, if you know Teddy and Jack. Yeah. And then uh, the second night is the Lucha Brothers and Mr. Aguila against now I'm blanking. I know TJP's on the one team and Oh man, I should have checked this. You say something while I look it up. Yeah, I'm looking. Breaking news from Facebook is that Mexican Wrestling has joined PAL. 
the PAL group. I, really I thought they did already. They, yeah, they officially announced that they joined it now. I think they were just working very close in hand with everyone, but now they're part of the group, whatever the difference that means. Wow, that's really weird. Okay, I got it. So the second night is Brian Cage, Johnny Morrison, John Morrison, and TJP against the Lucha Brothers and Mr. Aguila, which sounds like a weird match I need to see. I think we're going to see a lot of TJP in Lucha Lawyer places soon. As soon as that non-compete ends. He seems like a perfect guy for the MLWs of the world. Or the 35th entrant in the Copa Triple Mania. Yes. He's a guy that they would be, that I can see Triple A being very hyped to bring in and then have no real particular plans on how they use him. <laughs> but yes, I mean, a lot of the good things coming up. And that's why we all need to get our sleep, and we should end this three-hour podcast. Yeah, this is longer than I meant, but we covered everything I wanted to talk about. And we didn't cover the literature underground, which I didn't feel like I really wanted to talk about. So that's it. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I guess we'll try to do this probably not right after WrestleMania, but sometime that week or so after when we're back in one piece again. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully we'll have some more news by then. We'll, we'll get to preview the CMLL Incredible Pairs Tournament, which should be starting that month. The excitement of that tournament every year. Um, thanks everyone for listening. We will, um, if you have any comments, leave them on the the website, and we will be back soon.